Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Wow. We have a post-election episode for you. Everything is wild throughout the day on Wednesday, which was yesterday for you, and all day Thursday. There's a lot of information out there, and we are here to make sense of it for you. We've got Andrew Yang giving his breakdown, but not just him. We've got Liz Smith, who is the comms director for Pete Buttigieg's campaign and widely regarded as one of the best comms people in the field giving us our insight we've got eugene daniels from politico who is covering us from the political side of things giving us what the media is looking at right now we've got liz plank who's an msnbc correspondent and columnist and an influencer has got the digital game on all this fascinating perspective from the left and the yang gang original carly riley joins us to give us the finance um, and insider scoop from her perspective as well. So you do not want to miss this episode. And I I have a treat for you as well. We're co-hosting it with our traveling press secretary, Eric Sanchez, aka the Sanchez. So you don't want to miss this episode. We explain the whole breakdown of this election. And at the time of recording, Joe Biden is highly likely to win, but there's a lot up in the air. You don't want to miss it. Tune in to our episode, our post-election special episode of Yank Speaks. The Trump era is over. Joe Biden will be our president-elect. That is magnificent. Wow. Thank you, Wisconsin. Thank you, Michigan. Thank you, Nevada holding up. Thank you, Arizona. <laughs> Special thank you to Arizona. Way to join the yeah. Biden blue team from the Trump train. I appreciate the heck out of you. Look at your confidence. I think you're right, but no, it has not been called, to be fair. We're recording this Wednesday night, November 4th. It's 6 35 p.m. Eastern time. It'll go. We'll air this. You're seeing this Thursday. The, the morning, math is skewing 5th. positively As because now, they're like a, a few. I think it's 14 percent of Nevada votes are outstanding, but they're from Clark County, which is Vegas and uh, Reno, and both of those counties were blue. So the lead's just going to get bigger. Nevada's in. Wisconsin's 20,000 votes. That's not going anywhere. He can recount it all he wants. That's <laughs> Michigan. They recounted in 2016, and Trump got 131 more votes than he had the first round. So hey, give him 200. That's only 1% of 20,000. Joe is the president-elect. Yeah. It was not as wow um, uh, as uh, fast and uh, clear a process as it could have been. It definitely gave us all a very, very stressful mm-hmm. Tuesday evening. 
especially because the way the votes were reported made it seem like certain things were happening and then they would unhappen. <laughs> so that was no fun for anyone. Uh, but you, you have to say, when we were running, there was one question on everyone's mind. It was, who's going to beat Donald Trump? And we settled on Joe Biden would beat Donald Trump, and he has defeated Donald Trump. And you got to say, being incumbent president... That's a big deal. Joe's done it. Very excited. Uh, yeah, let's let's go. Let's go, Joe. Yeah. Let's go, Joe. It's the weirdest, probably weirdest, like incumbent defeat in a while. In the sense that Dems, if you talk to them, particularly on Twitter or just friends, people don't feel good, even though there's a real chance when all this is said and done, he flips five states, which is a big deal. Uh, in a divided nation against an incumbent, would you agree? I agree, but I also understand the terrible, terrible feeling. Uh, because if hmm. you have record turnout and a president like Trump, who has just brought out the worst in so many people, and that his vote goes up in lockstep with the increased turnout, it's like, you know all those people who voted for Trump last time, the 67 million, whatever it was, um, turns out there were more, you know, you know like, like, like that, that was like a, wow, good point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so that, that's like a tough, um, pill to swallow for a lot of folks. Uh, and for us, we supported so many awesome congressional candidates in Texas, Iowa, North Carolina, Michigan, uh, California, like, uh, and, mm-hmm. and that Trump, enthusiasm took out a lot you know a lot of our candidates candidates that i really really liked uh loved um took out uh an incumbent or three or five i mean you you cannot uh ignore the fact that despite the fact that trump is on track to be a one-term president uh that tons of people voted for him and instead of expanding a democratic majority in the house the dems lost seats uh, I saw one yeah. lawmaker anonymously refer to it as a dumpster fire. Uh, and there should be some real soul searching on the Democratic Party. How do we lose so many communities to that president uh, in 2020 in Investing. the face of this? Uh, so the the folks who feel bad, you know, I saw online on Twitter, someone was like, well, you just had a lot of people just like re-up with the, you know, out and out... Uh, uh, neo-Nazi types and like neo-fascist types and the rest of it, and and uh, I can understand that sentiment. Um, like there are a lot of people that are hurt by it. Uh, I think particularly if you're black, you're hurt by it because you're looking up and being like, wow, that there is like a much bigger group of Americans who seem to agree with Trump or at least did not feel like his actions in this uh, uh, in this area. Mm-hmm. Feel what I feel. Yeah, like, like it, it, it's not enough yeah. to have me not vote for the guy or something like that. Like, it, like so there's a very, very bad feeling right. for a lot of Americans. Uh, and on a practical level, I am um, saddened by the fact that Joe is going to still have Mitch McConnell as the Senate Majority Leader. I mean, you're going to have to go through Mitch. Mitch, you could see Mitch as the second most powerful man in uh, Washington and certainly like maybe number one in influential mm-hmm. because maybe most powerful. He, like he's going to be the yeah. uh, gatekeeper for any major legislation. Um, that's upsetting. I thought there was a real chance that Democrats take the Senate and uh, again, some really awesome candidates went down. 
Um, so there, there were some very, very tough things about this election day days, uh, even though the big headline is Joe's going to be president-elect the Trump era. And I, I said to, on, again, Twitter, I was like, I can already feel Trump's power fading. It's wild, but I genuinely feel like, like a cloud is lifting. Uh, and his protestations about, you know, doing a recount in Wisconsin and the rest of it. I was watching Fox News no just for really fun. It, yeah. um, because, frankly, like what they said was probably more important than, <laughs> than what other networks said. Fox is not bad for election coverage. They were, ve- they were pretty good, in my opinion. They were solid, um, and, the and they were cataloging vote counts yeah. just like anyone else. So it's very, very hard for your mm-hmm. biggest media outlet to just be counting votes and then turn around and be like, and like, it turns out those votes are garbage. Like, and like, you know, you, you get like that. So that, like, that's a very, that's true. That's a good point. Uh, um, so I, I, I do feel Trump's uh, presence and power waning, like almost moment by moment. And it's a great feeling. It's why I decided to run for president. I thought that we needed a different approach to defeat him. Uh, I am glad that Joe won, and obviously I like did everything I could to help Joe win. Um, right. Yeah, like hopefully we contributed, man. I feel like we did, so uh, it's it's a great feeling. I feel like we did too. So a premature congrats to the Biden team and every all the Democratic candidates who tried to push the country forward. And um, so let me uh, let's put it, let's do it this way. I think it'd be fun. Uh, things we like, things we didn't like, and this anything. And I think we hit on because there's not that many things to like besides the big one, which is. We got the dub. You know what I'm saying? Like, you got just win, baby. Um, and you got a pretty decisive W um, across the board. If it weren't for, and frankly, if it weren't for Miami-Dade County, um, you're talking about a massive sweep, you know, um, at least at the presidential level. Um, and then voter turnout, great across the board. Um, and we, uh, most highest turnout in any presidential election we've had. That said, what I don't like, and we can go down through this, you talk about this, not winning the House if you're a Democrat, like not getting that you had a lot of smart Americans, if you will, or just you know, conscious Americans vote Republican or vote Democrat at the top of the ticket and Republican all the way down. Like that's the only way you see these types of results, I think, um, unless it's county by county stuff. We're going to have to look at the numbers when they finally no, a, a, a lot of it the really one thing was, I want to talk, a, okay. a lot of it was people did not split the ticket. Like a lot of Trump voters came out of the woodwork and swamped a lot of Dems in various places. There wasn't like in the rural like, areas. Yeah, you didn't need to split the ticket to see the results we saw. Dang. So that's like, that, that's what I'm interested in. That's, it sucks. It's, um, and that's what's it's um, I think the divide in this country between rural and urban is terrifying yes. or just shocking and hard to digest. Um, the but here's what I am the most shocked by and pissed off about, and I want your thoughts. I the I thought the pollsters were garbage. Absolutely, yeah, everyone's garbage. upset about that. Like, could not have missed more. So for those of you who aren't like digging the numbers, like I have been all day, like give, let me give you a little. Fun facts. So the New York Times Siena University or Siena College uh, poll, which is rated A plus by 538, which I historically has been very objective and good um, at this, um, particularly in the primary when we were running, um, estimated Biden to win the following. They estimated him to win by 6% in Florida, 4% in North Carolina, around 6-ish in Michigan, um, 10-ish in Wisconsin, over 10 in Iowa and 9% in Ohio. 
What? Like, not even close, man. Wisconsin was a tie, like a virtual, like Biden pulled it out, but it's essentially, it's, I mean, it's 20, it's like two tenths of a percent or whatever 1,000 yeah. votes. Um, you know, and like, like we lost Iowa um, and Ohio where he was favored by almost double digits. Like that is so wrong. And it's so frustrating to me because so many things are drive driven by those polls. And um, I'm going to talk to Eric Sanchez about this, our, our traveling press secretary and a few others on this podcast, but that was, I, what are your thoughts on that? Like, I just think it's, I felt robbed. I felt lied to. Um, and I don't, I understand if I'm a Trump supporter, we've always been like, the polls are wrong, the media is lying. Like, I feel, I felt that now, big time. What you do know you think? You know what's funny is, we all remember 2016 when the polls were wrong. And it was like, you know, and so when you and I were running, yeah. uh, you know, I was running for president. And then people would come with, with polls. I'd be like, yeah, polls are garbage, polls are wrong. We were like, polls yeah, are yeah. garbage. Forget them. Yeah, and, I remember and, that. And the, the polls were pretty accurate where we were, <laughs> we were concerned. They were like, when oh, you broke them down. And maybe, we remember, had a, I remember our come to Jesus yeah. moment. We're like, uh, they actually were only bad in Pennsylvania in 2016. Everything else pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and so then, then uh, you get to this and here the polls are. Um, polls are often, they're consistently off in one direction. You know, they, they underestimated Trump's support. Uh, and to right. me, that's the blind spot that folks should folks should be focusing on is like why do why did so many polls systematically underestimate Trump support? And one theory that people had from before is the quote unquote shy Trump voter. It's like I'm just not going to tell you I'm voting for Trump, but I'm telling mm-hmm. you to vote for Trump. Yeah, <laughs> so so if you had X percent of people lying about it, it's like can you blame the pollster for that? Uh, but whatever is going on, there's a, a systematic underestimate. Um, and it's toxic. It's noxious. It's gonna get us um, because the the polls are self fulfilling prophecies in different ways. They do drive a lot of behavior. They drive a lot of media coverage. Um, and, and from my perspective, seeing all these polls, I think look, polls are noisy. But if you have this many data points uh, trying to paint a particular picture, you know, you'd have to listen to it. Uh, you know, that, like they're not nothing. Um, so the fact that they were also consistently right. misleading is very, very um, problematic for a, a lot of folks. Uh, and unfortunately, it feeds into the mistrust of the media, where it's like the, the media... And the funny thing yeah. is, like, now I'm kind of a member of the media, even though I don't know how... how it's like, you know, just in that, I'll, like, show up on a TV screen you're occasionally. Like a, you're like the black sheep of it, but you are a member. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you, as, <laughs> I as, if I am a member, I definitely did not get my orientation. I did not get my clubhouse membership. <laughs> I not get the card. I have no idea what's going on any moment. Like that, like that's like, hey, it's so true. You know, show up. You probably see this, and I'm just like, what's going on? <laughs> like, in terms of like, hey, I'm going on TV in like a little bit. And be like, all right, and then I, I go on and just try yes. to shed some light. For what it's worth, there's no like puppet master telling Yang what to say or what he can't say. It's literally, hey, will you come? Or we call them, or you call them, like, hey, I want to talk about this. Or they're like, will you come talk about the election? And that's pretty much that's it. That's pretty right? much like, the whole thing. Any... Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so f- folks are going to mistrust the media more, obviously, because the media is like beating these polls very hard and right. be like, oh, the media has an agenda. The media has an agenda. And it's like you can't blame people for thinking that. Um, but it's really, really just that apparently we're just very bad at polling. So that that's going to be a problem yeah. until somehow uh, we rebuild like our trust in polls. Uh, maybe it'll be better if we mistrust polls. I don't know. I mean, certainly... Um, when we were campaigning and like out of self-interest, we were like, you know, poll smoles, but, <laughs> but then our heart of hearts were right. like, all oh, these things seem to be, 
like kind of indicative of some kind of reality. No, I think so. Uh, this is what I kind of want to ask you is like what my big takeaway is, um, uh, or let's see if I'm right in that. In that, um, we talked about before, and this was a, a kind of a pithy little quote on when you're in politics was that Democrats fall in love, Republicans fall in line. And um, I was just, I, when I heard that, Andrew, I was like, that's kind of like a stupid, you know, Democrats are emotional, Republicans are more logical um, in some ways. Um, but I, I think actually that's way deeper than that in the sense that I think Democrats love to vote for a person and Republicans are voting for a platform in a, in a really deep way, particularly now where that these attacks on Donald Trump is a racist or Donald Trump is xenophobic or whatever it is. They still care. Um, didn't matter to Republicans so no. much because they cared about the platform. And then we are like, okay, but what's so wrong with Joe's platform, you know, um, particularly for the moderate Republicans that clearly did vote for him this time in, in big numbers, is Joe actually reflects a there's a swath of Joe's party that is not reflective of the whole country. Almost to the point where you have this, I think you have a dynamic between like woke left and non-woke. It's like woke and non-woke, not left or right, woke and non-woke, where you have, there are people in the Democratic Party where it's, where you don't like, like literally, whether it's Bernie or AOC, who I, I'm a fan of, but they, they say they, they are socialist or, or talk about how socialism awesome or literally phrases like defund the police or cancel culture and identity politics where it doesn't matter who you how rational or moderate the front of the party is uh if you're a republican joe biden reflects that party um do you do you do you agree with this like do you think this had an effect or am i kind of overthinking it so um given where we are i think there is something fundamentally broken about uh the democratic party's ability to connect with a lot of folks that um are not already Democratic partisans. Uh, and and that, that's something that you have to take very seriously. The, the stuff that, you know, we were running on was like, you know, you can say what you want. Like, if you actually demonstrate through action that you're committed to improving someone's life or, or their family situation, then that should be the, the ball game. But no one really is arguing on that level anymore. Like, <laughs> like it's not like, like, I mean, my argument would be like, hey, you know, I want to give you a thousand bucks a month, and uh, from that, yeah, no matter who you are, yeah, no matter right? who you it are, very universal. And I think it would be awesome for you, and uh, that, that's going to be a demonstration of like you know my uh, my values, my impact, my care. And a lot of Democrats are now doing like kind of performative moral gestures, like sort of showing like I'm a good person. Um, and then the Republicans, the other side, it's like, I don't care if you're a raging asshole, as long as, like, you know, you, you did X, Y, and Z, or appointed this judge, or, or whatever it is. Or you don't like social, you don't want to defund the police, or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and um, so you wound up with this, like, war of symbols, and, um, the, the, mm-hmm. and the Democrats don't win those wars of symbols, because Republicans have a wider array of symbols that speak to uh, a greater mass of Americans. Um, particularly in rural areas and, you know, some of the, the places that Joe was contesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I've been referring to the, the book, The Righteous Mind, about how conservatives can speak to all six moral pillars, uh, sanctity, loyalty, mm-hmm. and authority, whereas uh, liberals focus on caring, fairness, and then the two of them split liberty and define it differently. Uh, and, and so if you engage mm-hmm. in, like, the, the symbol contest... 
uh, Democrats don't fare very well. Um, and so that, that's something that Democrats have to really uh, figure out uh, and, and try and get away. I, it, it, like the character worked sort of, uh, and, and that's, that's painful. And I say this too as someone who ran for president as a Democrat. I introduced myself to so many people and I said, hey, I'm running for president. They said, oh, what party? And I said, Democrat. And then they were like, oh. And then it, it's like I yeah, I just like sprouted a head out of my neck or something. I was like, oh, man, like what the yeah. heck did we do to you? Or not do yeah. for you. A lot. Like, or not do, yeah. So, <laughs> Nothing. So, so, so there's like a... <laughs> um, yeah, and, and so the, this is like the, the cultural divide or like the... Um, you know what some people would call like the culture war um, that we have to try to circumvent uh, and it's something I'm very proud of is that uh, you know like am I you know quote unquote like coastal elite it's like well definitionally probably um, but you know mm -hmm. like uh, the, the big thing is like I genuinely want to help um, I don't have much judgment yep. in me about you know like uh, what, what's going on with you and, and even like a lot of things you say, it's like I, I, I actually don't care that much about um, anything but trying to help you. Uh, and if that actually comes through to someone, that it's not like, oh, um, I'm somehow looking down on you in some way. Like they'll, they'll hear you out. They'll listen to you. And th yeah. there were some tremendous candidates who embodied that, um, that just got swamped by the R, man. It makes me so ha uh, sad because like folks just freaking voted Republican. Uh, one of our losing candidates said to me, it's like, sometimes in the Republican area, everyone just votes for the Republican. And that's kind of what went down. Yeah. Um, so you, in, in that way, you can't really put that on the Democrat. Like, because I thought some of our candidates were great messengers. Um, but to the yeah. extent that that's a consistent phenomenon, you have to try and address it as a party. And, and to me, it wouldn't be like, oh, what turns of phrase should we use or not use? What this is like, no, just freaking like, you have to rebuild trust and deliver. Uh, and yes, it's a trust thing, yeah. And um, I think Joe Joe's gonna have I, a real so chance at you, that too, like you know, because Joe Joe said it all the time. He's like, look, I'm not a president for Democrats or or Republicans. I'm just a president for America. He's gonna be America's president. Mm -hmm. Thank you for voting for Joe. If you yeah. did, if you didn't, it's cool. He won anyway. <laughs> That's cool. The. Uh... So I know you got to run because you have you're at CNN all this week, which is a good thing. Uh, we want you out there, and the American is here out there. I have two relatively quick questions. They're important questions, though, and one one's fun and one one's really important. Um, so the fun one is now that you're looking at the map, like I'm a you know I'm Yang Gang and a bit of a homer here, but I can't help looking at it thinking that you might have rolled if you were uh, if you were running, given the. Um, the, the turnout for the Democrats in the in the urban areas, um, but then particularly the the gap in the rural area, and by our Iowa numbers in particular, um, while like a lot, look, we did not perform well from a percentage standpoint, but there's a threat fifteen percent threshold. There's a threshold in in Iowa, so we we actually pulled out double digits in a number of rural areas. Um, we didn't get any delegates or, or even count, but um, based on how the caucuses work, but you could have actually turned out some. Uh, rural voters thoughts on how you would have performed given how this election shook out <laughs> it's a great question zach one of the things that i envy about the nominee is the nominee has like a billion bucks behind them you know what i mean um and if, if yeah and, and a lot of allies and a lot of allies yeah. uh and i i'd like to think that if i had been the nominee people would have gotten what i was about uh 
and uh, I think we could, and Crystal I think we could have yeah. um, hopefully gotten a little bit beyond the customary polarization. Um, I like to believe that. Uh, I mean, our campaign demonstrated yeah. that that was happening. Um, you know what? One of the things that is unknown, Zach, is like if I'd been the nominee, uh, like how much control do we have over stuff versus all these people trying to like, you know, jam things like you know onto us. Um, if we a lot happens when you become yeah. So if, yeah. if we had just done our thing, I think we could have um, changed things and enough where uh, we might have peeled off some folks who right now were uh, were voting for Trump. I, I like to believe that uh, mm-hmm. we're not going to know this time. Uh, who knows? I, I but it, it did occur time, to me. But TBD because you know, of course, yeah. you look up and you imagine it's like, oh, how would I have done? So I did think about it. Oh, you know, well, America. Yeah. Well, you know, thank you for uh, potentially, you know, like asking that question and maybe putting us in position to find out at some point in the future, though, it's not going to be against Trump unless Trump comes back. Who the hell knows? <laughs> yeah. Who knows? And that, that's a good way to transition to the last question here. I think a good way to close as we get into the other the other guests. It's uh, where, um, where do we go from here? And what I mean is Joe won. We didn't. The Dems did not perform well in congressional votes, and we have a lot of. There's a lot of work to do, both from a policy standpoint and to your point um, earlier. There's a, there's a lot to do in terms of like what the Democratic Party is and the types of voters. We're just like like in in a global pandemic where the the president, the current incumbent, has no plan. We couldn't get. You know what I'm saying? Like we couldn't reach them. So where where do you think? we go from here as a country and then frankly you as a as a movement um, well right now we have just launched our new cash relief advocacy campaign where we're just going to keep on beating the drum Mm -hmm. and beating the heads of members of congress and saying pass cash relief uh for at least six months Uh, it's necessary it's vital uh thank you for everyone who's supporting us on that it's the right thing to do it disgusts me that we haven't done it already i'm very very sad and angry about it uh so hopefully the democratic party will embrace that that the tough reality now is that if you don't have a unified government it's going to be harder to do some of the enormous things we should be doing we should be going huge like investing trillions of dollars in various ways to try and fill the hole in our economy protect ourselves and our families create millions of jobs like we should be going hog wild like there should be just like fire hose type action where it's just like just spray the people down or like put the fire out uh and unfortunately like you know the the, we're not going to have that kind of hose situation probably because there's going to be mitch mcconnell and some assholes being like no too much water (laughs) so so that makes me deeply upset um is there a, a ton we can get done uh you know with with a divided government sure you know like you still can get things done um and i'd start with cash relief i'm optimistic that republicans will see the virtues of it i um i do yeah if you we are doing something very interesting and different we want to be a force a movement um the same way, I mean, you know, the way Planned Parenthood or NRA or whether side of the aisle. We're like the on, lobbyists like for the people. Brings a hammer down. You know, it's like that Onion headline yeah. where it's like the American people hire their own lobbyists. Uh, that, that's like that's us. us. 
We're going to fight for you. That's us. Oh, God. Congress, do your so, job. Sorry, Zach. I just had to... So if you haven't if you haven't donated, um, we would appreciate it because it, it is powered by people. Uh, so it's movehumanityforward.com. Um, and come join the fight. It's going to be a blast. Uh, and then I think, look. We'll take a um, picture of the lobbyist. You can see. Got who, a, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'll be like, you paid for yeah. this person. <laughs> we can show you pictures of awkward lobbyists uh, in D.C. No, I mean, look. We'll have a, a it'll be activists. It will not be your corporate lobbyists. It'll be the right ones. Um, you can trust Andrew and in, in our judgment on the human part. Yeah, we, we, um, we just harass but, members of Congress. Like you know, we, we're not going to hire a bunch of yeah. suit wearing tools. I was kidding, kidding. Um, we're, <laughs> that, uh, hap, happily, most members of Congress uh, will yeah. take my call at this point. Um, so that's good. That's true. And it's and it's not just there. It's it's the it's it's Congress. It's it's, you know, it's the House and Senate, but it's also. The state legislators and local legislators, like up and down, we need to um, we need to tie this to we need to make them feel the pain that everybody. That it's the media, it's events, it's awareness. Now. It's like uh, you know we're we're gonna try and spread yeah, the word. Paid advertising, yeah. it's all of it. Um, so we got our work cut out for us, and we have our work cut out for us as a country. Um, so Andrew, um, I really I know how crazy you are because I've helped put together your calendar this week. So thank you for. Of course, uh, man. It's celebration time. Joke, 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 joke. I love it, man. I, I love your optimism. It has, like, as of now, it has not been officially called, but it's looking, the math guy is calling it here, and I think he's right. Um, so, uh, congrats to Joe Biden and team. They deserve it. Um, anyway, tune in. This is an awesome episode. Tune in, guys. This podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that. Private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online... I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell our data? The worst part is you don't know what they're doing. You don't get to have your say. That's why I use ExpressVPN. Just hit one button and then your internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. No one can see your IP address. You're completely in your own private internet. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it harder for third parties to track me and harvest my data. No matter what device you're on, you just hit one button and you get your own protected connection. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com yang and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S VPN.com slash Yang. Go to expressvpn.com slash Yang to learn more. Okay, Yang Speak. So here's the deal. We just listened to Andrew give us a recap of what he's thinking about the election. Um, but given that he is running around with CNN and helping Joe and Kamala wrap this thing up. 
wanted to bring in a whole bunch of different perspectives for our listeners this week. And to help me navigate that, I brought in the one and only Eric Sanchez, a.k.a. The Sanchez, to join the... You asked for the best. They weren't available, so here I am. (laughs) (laughs) I figured you would give that intro even better. So... For those of you who do not know who Eric Sanchez is, Eric was our traveling press secretary on the campaign um, and formerly of Tim Ryan's organization, presidential run, and many of his congressional runs too. And frankly, was you know probably the best travel bus guy we had. Um, so, um, and it brings a fun perspective. So Eric, welcome to Yank Speaks, man. How we doing? This is fantastic. No, I, I'm honored to be here. Thank you guys for for bringing me on. This is a lot different than being three feet away from you and Andrew on a daily basis, uh, which I do miss because I feel like I got to at least enjoy any culinary pleasure I could possibly have. And now that I'm home, I'm very much regulated and monitored in terms of my intake. And it's been mostly vegan, which is not as exciting. So, but it's great <laughs> to be with you all. No, uh, <laughs> no, um, yeah, we, we had a lot of uh, Belvedas. We had a lot of um, Skinny Pop. Um, <laughs> that sounds healthier than it actually was. It was a lot of uh, I was about ranch. to say, that was that was under an adjustment. I recall literally buying every Pringle flavor I possibly could that I had. There it is. <laughs> you know, we, we just got heard Yang's takes. Um, but I wanted to kind of level set for everybody. Because um, if you're like many Americans, you went to bed, you're like, I think Trump's winning, maybe Biden has a shot. And you woke up this morning, you're like, oh, it looks like Biden may pull this thing out. So I wanted to break this down um, and then bring on some friends to talk about it more. But I wanted to break down kind of three categories. I want to talk about what we know, what we don't know, and then kind of our forecast going forward. Um, and then throughout this extravaganza, Eric, we'll give our, our takes and thoughts. Because I think, uh, you know, you and I both have a lot of passionate takes on what the hell just happened so let's start with what we know and i'll give it to you eric what do you i mean what are let's call this objective facts post election night as of this is wednesday november 4th at noon eastern one o'clock eastern time essentially um here's what we know eric i'll let you start if you'd like Absolutely. What we do know uh, and what's been pointed out is that, you know, uh, the turnout of this election was absolutely historic. Um, And whether it was for enthusiasm on the Trump side or whether it was to change the course of history, uh, we saw wildly historic numbers all around. Um, I think we saw, you know, some counties turn in the direction we thought. uh, And we saw some that went in a direction or have not yet been discussed. that we are hopeful will be turned towards uh, Joe Biden. Uh, the House is going to remain in control of the Democrats, although we do know that uh, uh, at least what was the anticipated outcome did not happen for them. Um, I, I think we saw more importantly that no matter what this outcome is, we're looking at an extremely divided country. <laughs> that's that's yeah. a harsh, you know, it's a, a, as close as things are right now. I think that's a, another reality. And I always felt that way too, that either one side was going to be very happy and another side was not going to be. And that was just going to be how how it shook out. So, I mean, definitely a way closer race than expected. Um, To be fair, I did expect this, but uh, this is not the time for tooting your horn. Uh, Way closer race than than most people expected. Uh, No, 
So as of right now, no states from 2016 have officially changed in terms of where Clinton and Trump were. Um, but that's a big yet. So we've said on this podcast, it's the seven states to watch. Um, and there's actually a couple more that have been added. But the seven states to typically watch are Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, then Arizona, Florida, North Carolina. And you could add in Georgia to that right now. Um, so all of those believe yes all of those went for donald in 2016 and biden just needs to win three to take it over um uh and trump needs to hold five so here's where we're at so florida north carolina and ohio all went to donald trump um and arizona should flip to biden it's looking like that's a lock um fox news already called it and stood by their number no other network has called it, but it's looking like a Biden victory on, right. on that in Arizona. So by the numbers where we're looking at, Biden should probably pull this out. Um, Arizona, like I said, look great. Georgia yeah. is super tight, kind of a toss up, but it's leaning Biden right now. Right. Um, and so if that's the case, then he only needs to win one of Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. Um, and it looks like the odds of him losing all three of those very low. It looks like he may actually win all three. Um, and we can dive into numbers there, but that's kind of what we're looking at. Um, right. So that's essentially what we know though. We know Biden won three of those swing states, Florida, North Carolina, Ohio. Um, he like the polls did not have him winning in North Carolina and Florida. So they were dead freaking wrong. Um, and then Arizona, looks great for joe georgia looks okay for joe he might actually pull that out which he wasn't expected to so that would be a big win for him um and all in if that's the and then if and then we don't know about michigan wisconsin pennsylvania but they're looking okay for joe and if that is the case that's a theoretically solid win for joe um am i getting everything that's like factually correct in terms of the states Anything I missed? No, that's, I mean, that's, that's absolutely right. Uh, and at least, you know, everything that uh, the pundits are saying and everything that we're seeing in raw numbers indicate that this is going to end up in a, a, a very thin, but still uh, a Biden victory, um, which, which is, which, you know, obviously uh, is great, but I think based off of what for we the see from the numbers, it's great, right? Yeah. Right. But it's uh yeah, yeah. And for the, I mean, for the country, it, it, at least half of it, it's going to feel great. Um, but, you know, I think that uh, what we saw, what we're seeing unfold right now is really a, a call uh, for something new and, and refreshing. Um, and I mean, I, I, I'm not saying that to say, like, you know, uh, the outcome of this presidency will will uh, fix everything. I think if you're looking in that direction, um, you would have felt the same way in, in an Obama 08 victory. And maybe, you know, obviously, I feel like Trump supporters felt that way in their 16 victory. So, you know, there's, there's that piece, but I mean, also, I think, you know, a takeaway from this, and I'm, I'm disappointed about Ohio. I, I worked in Ohio uh, a tremendous amount over the years. Um, and I got to see how things unfold. I actually worked at the state party in 2010 when uh, we took our first, you know, slaughtering on that cycle um, in the, on the congressional side. Uh, and one of the takeaways there was the importance of local elections because another outcome of that, um, of that cycle was the Republican control of gerrymandering. Um, and so, you know, last Which is drawing last the night, districts for you know, the voting districts, for those of you who are not political pundits right. like me in the same <laughs> chest. 
That's right. So, you know, these districts were cut up so crazy. And in and, and one part, one congressional district was literally held together by an uninhabited island in northwest Ohio, uh, just to allow <laughs> all this Republican control. And then to see the impact of it last night, I mean, you know, uh, I was I, I spent time in Ohio. It was very much a blue state. And to see it so solidly red, especially this year, is, is upsetting. But it kind of goes to show, like, those local races really matter. And as much matter, as we pay attention yeah. to the presidential, we really have right. to, you know, consider the legislators and all those other uh, local seats as well. Absolutely. And so let's talk about, so I want to, um, so we gave you the facts of what we know, but I also think there's some really big takeaways we need to talk about that are irking me right now. And I'm for those of you listening, you probably know, I'm, I'm like, jumping at the bit to, there's so many things I'm passionate or angry about right now. Um, but let's start with like kind of these bigger takeaways from what we know now, um, like kind of macro trends, both positive and negative. So here's what I would say, and Eric, feel free to add, here's what I think sure. is like generally good for the country. And there's frankly not a lot. Um, and I don't mean that because Joe is is winning or like ignore the results, just like in terms of macro trends from the numbers. So number one, on the positives, um, highest turnout in American history from a presidential election. Um, which is good for democracy and good for the country um, and, and just exciting in general. Um, so Joe Biden has received more votes for president than anyone in American history, which is crazy. Um, so that is, I think, generally a positive for democracy um, and for voting and for the country. Um, now, another positive, if you're number two, I guess here, if you're a Democrat, Joe is looking like he's going to win. Um, so that's uh, the theoretically the Trump experiment or experience is coming to a close potentially over doe wins this um and then the third positive i had was that i thought the media did a pretty good job tonight being relatively objective um no one called anything don the donald claimed to win which we all knew would happen and um no yeah. one reported it um in fact conservatives um admonished him they they from everyone from like a chris christie to ben shapiro to rick santorum on cnn said this is you know ridiculous and irresponsible for a president to declare victory when there's clearly so much ambiguity and all the votes have not been close to counted even if you think there's some that shouldn't have been counted for um legal reasons if you will some would say nonsense reasons but you could argue legal reasons based on election laws in every state the ones that have been clearly legally voted um and cast these ballots have been cast um have not all been counted in many of these states so it's clearly not over for anyone to declare victory is ridiculous um so i thought the media was objective uh fox news is the only organization that called arizona and then stuck right. to it when others were calling them out um which i think is really great um it's a state that um is not traditionally well it's it's, it's a state that wasn't um the stronghold for Donald in terms of like the the Midwestern states and that sort of thing. So I thought it was really important that it takes the focus somewhat off of Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin um, in a healthy way. And so kudos to Fox News for being objective and sticking in their gun. So anything else as a positive that you thought the from from a trends perspective, you see? Honestly, uh, I think, you know, uh, love it or hate it. I mean, our democracy worked at a time uh, during mm -hmm. Corona where so many states had to reconfigure their voting operations. Um, mm -hmm. You know, shout out to uh, the early voting periods that happened because obviously they were completely essential and crucial. And 
you know, save for some discrepancies. I mean, people were able to go out and they were able to vote and we're not seeing anything, at least at this moment, uh, of, of any true despair of, of um, you know, voting rights being completely trampled in states, you know, more than, point. you know, kind of here or there. But overall, I mean, you know, uh, I think I've always said, you know, democracy is our, our most treasured prize here in, in the country and so many other countries would love to have it. Uh, and I'm glad that we, you know, get to exercise it here. Uh, no matter whether we like the outcome or not, we still have it as an option. So that's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> here. So then now that's like, maybe we bury the lead a little bit because those are the positives. That's not a lot. There's a shit ton of negatives. I, I like, and right. so let's get into these. Uh, because I think if you're an American, even if you're a Democrat, you're not waking up today being like, this feels great. Cause it doesn't, it feels like crap. And yeah. here's why. Number one, the polls were wrong and really wrong. And really, I know really we said, and Eric, you and I have sat on the bus and talked, you know, shot the shit on this a lot. We said like, oh, the polls in 2016 were pretty wrong, but they were not that wrong in 2016. Most of the states Trump won that he needed to win were in the margin of error and he barely won them. And the only one that was really wrong was Pennsylvania last time. I uh, had right. Clinton, I think, four point plus 4.4 points and Trump won by two or three. Um, so that's, that's a swing, but, um, still not as big as what we're talking about right here because Florida was projected for Donald, um, or sorry for, for B Biden was expected to win Florida. You had, I tweeted out like, what a joke. Like you had places, right. you had Quinnipiac saying plus six for Biden, like the day before the election. Yeah. Trump won by three, I think is where it's going to land. Um, Iowa dead wrong. They said that was close. Not. North Carolina favored for Joe, not Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. All were supposed to, Wisconsin, ABC poll, um, which got Florida right, to be fair, had Wisconsin plus 17 for Joe Biden. And it is not even close to that. That is an embarrassment and a disappointment in the American people. So uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania polls were way tighter than expected. And I was angry. I'm still angry. I, what a what a what a joke. I don't know. Have I just feel like it, it's great. It's great. It's great. I mean, I feel like these polls are only really serve the consultant class. Yes. Who's benefiting from that? It's wrong. Yeah. It's just wrong. Yeah. And I mean, I you know, as part of it, I shouldn't complain. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, it, these polls were egregiously wrong. And at the end of the day, the only people who are winning are the people who are uh, either, you know, working alongside of these firms or, or at another one, you know, later, literally lining their pockets. It's just terrible how, how these yeah. people. And it all comes to, um, obviously, uh, you know, the, the consequence of uh, the American voter. And that's the worst part. Yes. And it's like it changes. I mean, there's so many things those bad polls affect. It affects get out yeah. vote effort. It affects campaign resources. It affects voters. Like they're like, well, he's going to win by 17 points here. I don't need to, you know, not don't need to vote. But if you had to like bend over backwards to get to a polling site for that reason, like it's on the margins. But there are some people that see that like, hey, maybe I don't. I'm not necessary to win it here. Um, it's uh, it's a shame, and it's. Um, I don't know what to say on that. I think, um, I don't know. I don't know. I think, it Like, go ahead. I, I, yeah, were, I was going to say. They were accurate in in our party. Like in the Democratic Party, they were accurate in Iowa and New Hampshire, generally speaking. So like they're, they're clearly just missing Republicans, um, which is part of the disservice. Go ahead, bud. Right. No, I, I was just going to say, you know, I feel like the Biden campaign 
did, although maybe the effort was a bit too late, try and warn uh, their supporters against what they were seeing from those numbers. Um, but at, at the same time, I feel like, you know, you're, you're kind of talking in, into an echo chamber that, you know, expects to hear something like that from the campaign. But obviously, yeah. like, yeah. if you're if you're a first time voter um, or someone who hasn't voted in a long time, just out of cynicism or being jaded or something like that, I feel like you see those numbers and, and you, it might dissuade you from even wanting to go out and vote, just being like, oh, well, this is a surefire thing. So what's, you know, what's the point of me going out to wait in line and be able to get this uh, moving? And that's, you know, that is part of the the, the, the real consequence of, of polls that are this unreliable, um, you know. Ugh. I, yeah. It's frustrating. That was super frustrating. So polls are wrong. So uh, anybody who had that on your bingo card, you were right. Uh, other negatives, down ballots, man. The the yeah. And this is one of the biggest problems, the biggest consequences of wrong polls is that the Dems are going to barely hold on to control, hold on to control of the House, and they're going to lose. They're not getting the Senate. No freaking chance. Um, yeah. And you know, there's a bunch of reasons for that. Um, a big one is that we somehow think Amy McGrath is a compelling candidate to beat Mitch McConnell in Kentucky. Like, what are we? What are we doing? Um, which is, I have so many issues with that, but. Generally speaking, um, disaster on there, you know, Um, you're going to have Biden get in there with Mitch McConnell gumming everything up and that's not fun. Yeah, we'll we'll basically be looking at the second Obama term um, and that really, you know, inherently it just we saw, you know, obviously it was it was a uh, era of stability, but not really an era of progress. And I and that's that's part of the and, and this is something I want to dig into more. It's like, what does a Biden presidency even look like uh, in its, in this first term, you know? Um, but I think, you know, talking about those down ballots and other things, I think it's clear, um, you know, we need to see some new leadership. We need to see term limits. Um, uh, and I think it all kind of systemically starts in Washington and spreads itself out into the states. And, you know, one of the reasons I'm relieved I don't live there anymore is that I don't hear <laughs> all of the all of the bad takes that help culminate you know what we end up seeing play out uh in real time um it's just it's, yeah there's so many and it's like you know i i think about uh what happened on the house side and it's like you know you had a d-trip chair who barely won her race i'm not sure I, she declared victory i don't know if victory is actually hers to declare um who are you talking about sherry bustos in illinois um in illinois. Yeah, so uh, I think she's at fifty-two percent, roughly, at this point. But you know, none of the red to blue uh, seats were won last night. Um, These politicians and, love declaring victory before it's over. Pete, yeah, they I do. Love, Pete Buttigieg, I love you, but he did that in Iowa. I think he ended up winning Iowa, but he declared it before it was really ready to declare. Uh, uh, smart it's strategy. good to be right the ultimate. Smith on. <laughs> That's that? right. It's a good strategy if you know it's going to work. It's a <laughs> it's a, you know, people, they, you got the winning coverage, you know, um, which is part of it. Um, you know, I um, so a couple, we're going to have a, a couple guests on. I want to get them on in shortly, but I, I, I do, and we're going to talk about this with them, but this is one thing I thought that was a really big negative was messaging on both sides of the aisle here. And the two, I want to say this message is dead. The concept and, and the argument that Donald Trump is a racist, that attack line is effectively failed and dead because one, like most of the country isn't buying it. Um, 
But two, Donald Trump made inroads, increases from 2016 to 2020 with people of color. And not just Cuban-Americans, where he did basically how he won Florida was with Cuban-Americans, but Latinos and African-Americans, like there are positive numbers and they're not all final yet, but looking good from uh, at least in terms of growth, there are not a decline. And so saying he's a racist is just straight wrong at this point or is ineffective um, from a attack line or messaging standpoint. Um, and the other one that did not work was, jo- or sorry, that did work, um, that I was shocked on, and I've on, I'm on record thinking that this wouldn't work, was that Joe Biden is a socialist or Joe Biden is the radical left. That worked really well in certain communities um, right. because he is the party of a lot of things that the moderates or Republicans do not like. He's ahead of that and the, party. The, um, the, irony, the irony being, I feel like of all the candidates that ran in the 2020 pri- primary, I would, I would say that Joe Biden is probably the most conservative, even off the bat. For sure. He, even off the bat, what was what was the first things he said early on? He was like, you know, people might not like me because I like Republicans. You know, like, and and, and Kamala as well. I feel, uh, you know, yeah, of, they're of, of not. That. They actually are not radical left. This is exciting. Um, we're going to transition to some of our guests. So our first guest on this show is the one and only. <laughs> Eugene the only Daniels from Politico. <laughs> only. The only. So, thank God. Eugene. So I'm going to give some context for Eugene before we really introduce me. So <laughs> Eugene was, um, and I'm going to butcher this, but it's don't let the truth get in the way of a good story, Eugene. Okay. So <laughs> Eugene was like the, at a point, I believe like the digital expert or like social media expert, um, video expert for Politico's. 2020 race and was basically like rounding up the candidates like hey will you do something for our digital platform or interview and uh first time i met him he had a boot on his foot if i recall That's and we correct. had to sit in these director's chairs and the boots like clinking and hanging <laughs> off the edge is hilarious um but um eugene then um started i mean it was fun to watch because you were growing in your role to a point yeah. where you were covering um a number of candidates but particularly the the yang campaign a lot and Politico, I thought, um, did a pretty, really good or, or fair job, particularly in like empowering their journalists to be objective on the trail. And that's why I, there's certain journalists I loved on Politico, and I had a lot of fun getting to know them. So, Eugene Daniels of Politico, welcome to Yank Speaks, man. Thank you. What an intro. Um, you're right. That's that is that is basically the story. And nice. What's what's funny is that. Um, you know, we started seeing that Yang was doing much better than we all expected, right? And the, just like you said, our editors, I went to our editors and I was like, you know, no one's really covering Yang like these other candidates. You know, he's in the top six, he's in the top seven, yeah. you know, all the time. Um, and they were like, you know what, that's right. And so that's how I, you know, so I I, it, I did expand Look, my role awesome. on his on his coattails, actually. That's awesome, man. <laughs> the, uh, so a quick story before we start peppering your questions is, uh, and getting your thoughts and like so we um first time and everybody who loves andrew yang will probably find this story hilarious uh so the first time we go to we we go to politico and usually what you do with these uh news outlets is they haven't it's called like they have like an editorial board meeting and candidate goes in and sometimes it's just the editorial board where they, they sit down and get peppered with questions and other times it's like at politico which is like more of a startup younger company they had like almost the whole company there or a lot, almost every journalist like going in there. So it was a lot, it was a big room. But before we go in there, Andrew walks on like the newsroom floor 
and no one's really paying attention. Everyone's like got their head down. And it's like a big open, uh, almost felt like a trading floor uh, in my Wall Street days. And Yang walks in the middle and just goes like, like you can see me on video. I put my hand over my mouth. He's like, is that Andrew Yang? And like, all the reporters were like, and then they just like, they looked up and they just went back to their work. Like no one, no one budged. Um, it's true. Well, cause we were all the political reporters that were covering 2020 were waiting for you guys. And oh like, yeah. And like, and like the meeting we were waiting for Andrew to come. And so we got the, we started getting texts from people. They're like, is Andrew Yang supposed to be here? Like, is this is so cool? funny. How did he get like, in this? I like facepalm. Like, oh my God. So, and then, we went in the room and y'all peppered him. You guys hit yeah. him. And um, yeah. Yang was really, Yang was always, in my opinion, really exceptional in those meetings um, because yeah. he's very serious and he has a breadth of knowledge on stuff. So anyway, long story short, welcome to the show. Thank um, you. Like, I know Eric and I have a ton of questions for you, sure. you but really wanted to um, get your thoughts on, obviously, where we're at in election. But the big one is like... I, I, I think where our users, our listeners will benefit from is, is your perspective as not just a journalist um, and uh, a Yang journalist, but someone who's seen all of, from the media angle and the digital angle, yeah. all of this entire race, and then it culminates into last night. Um, so, and we had some unexpected results. So what are you thinking, man? Give us your, give us your takeaway. Yeah, I think. The thing about now is it's a real test for the media, for journalists and reporters like me, on like, stick to the facts, stick to the, to the data, follow the experts, follow the election commissioners and all the people that are actually putting this on, on the ground, instead of trying to guesstimate. Um, mm -hmm. I think, you know, there are places where President Trump overperformed or Biden underperformed. Um, Florida being one of those places, right? That was when you talk about an unexpected result. Um, that was when they were feeling kind of confident about. But the thing that Biden, and when you talk to Biden people now, even late last night when things started looking kind of shaky, is that this is what they were actually expecting. For months, we kept hearing that, you know, this is going to be a blowout. You know, Politico did not say that. Um, this is going to be a blowout. Um, this is going to be a huge repudiation of President Trump. That is not what we have seen. I think no matter what happens with this election, at the end of the day, President Trump was able to convince enough people in this country that their lived experience, right? Their lived experience during a pandemic, during a recession is not reality, right? Like he was able to convince enough people that, you know, COVID-19, we're rounding the corner and I handled it well. You know, this is the best economy I've done. I've had the best economy. I'm the best for mm -hmm. black people. I'm the best for Latinos. I'm the best for women. Um, he was able to convince them of that. And what that means is that the Republican party may not, even if Trump loses, the Republican party is not gonna just, you know, wash their hands of Trumpism, right? In a way that right. Joe Biden, I think, was hoping. Something that Andrew Yang said um, to me before is that, you know, Trump, in the, during the primary, that there are some of his, the people running, I think he was talking about Joe Biden, that think that President Trump is like um, uh, an interlude, right? Like he is, he is, he is a symptom of the problem. A phase. A phase, right, right exactly. And that is clearly not the case, right? Like if there had been this huge repudiation around the country um, in huge numbers of President Trump, if all of the early vote was just to Joe Biden, that's what we would have been saying, but that's not the case. And I think how this country wrestles with that is going to be fascinating and scary for a lot of people for, for, for you know, at least maybe a decade, I think. 
I feel like your predictions are probably pretty close to Zach and I's, to be honest, in terms yeah. of what would, but, but I'm curious, really curious as to, you know, what, um, you know, if there was one or many pr predictions going into election night that you were personally surprised by seeing as an outcome. Yeah, I'm surprised uh, about Georgia. Georgia is still really close in a way yeah. that I really, I just never believed that, um, you know, Democrats were gonna be able to really play there. And I think they are showing that something's happening in Georgia. Florida, the Latino vote in Florida is really surprising. Miami, it's some, yeah. Miami hello. The underperforming by Joe Biden there is um, surprising to us. And also I think super concerning for Democrats moving forward because there have ever since, you know, ever since he was the general election candidate, Joe Biden, um, and the nominee, they were, you talk to Democrats in Florida, you talk to Latino activists and they said, he needs to focus on Latinos a lot more. He needs to focus on Latinos a lot more. And they didn't really take that seriously. They started to do that toward the end, but it was clearly not enough, right? And that is something that, you know, you, you look at the people that were at the DNC, um, Julian Castro, not there. You know what I mean? Like people, huge Latino names were not a part of that process and part of that pageantry and that matters and i think it, it showed that it mattered in florida more than democrats thought it was going to there were so many the only way i can explain them is just bs media narratives that came out <laughs> of the the hype up this election and i'll yeah. give political credit they weren't fueling the fire anywhere near as much as some of maybe the broadcast networks and things like that um but we all got wrapped up in it, um, and self included. But it was um, in some in some ways. But there were narratives like Texas is in play, and Iowa's in play, and South Carolina's in play, and the narratives were fueling these, uh, frankly, down ballot candidates too. Um, and there were like, look, Jamie Harrison, who's the guy yep. who tried um, was running against Lindsey Graham, raised more money than he could ever more than we did on the presidential campaign. We raised a lot, um, yeah. and there were polls showing him close um to, to almost winning and then like literally could not have been further from the truth like they called it on election night um pretty early so uh, what what is the media missing um from your angle you know what i'm saying like what is it polling is it headlines is it clickbait what, what's driving this i you know the i i'm lucky to work at political a place that doesn't you know, some, you know, we don't always get it right. <laughs> Even I know that, I, I know that like when it comes to headlines and clickbaity things. Um, but there is so much, the, the media issue is that we are obsessed with drama. We are drama queens. We are messy people who love drama. And that is like at the core of what it seems like is driving a lot of the media narrative and the media conversations that, you know, um, we take one thing, one poll, a couple of polls happening in one state and we pull that out to me like, oh my God, the election is the election is not even close. This is going to be a blowout. Um, it's dangerous. It is, you know, at times really it's disconcerting for democracy because if there isn't a media that can understand the people, right? Like if there isn't, isn't a media that can understand how people are feeling in this country, we're kind of screwed, right? I think that we, I think more times than not, we get it. We are correct, right? Like I think... All the reporters I know, and the more I'm in this business, the more I get to meet, and the bigger names I, you know, that feels like a brag. It kind of is a humble brag, I guess. I get to no, meet more, is, more, you get more, more people. I get to meet we more had the same thing. People. Yeah, yeah. Like you meet more important people who have been doing this for a really long time. 
And so I, I have never met a reporter that's like, just likes the drama to like the drama or isn't, doesn't take this part of their job really seriously, right? Understanding right. the American people. Um, and that's key. And I think that part is what we're losing. The polling industry is doing a, <laughs> I'm gonna get in trouble for this one. <laughs> the polling industry sometimes is doing a better job of kind of explaining what they got wrong than kind of getting things right. And so um, in 2016, mm. a lot yeah. of the surprise that we had was that there was, you know, they didn't wait for education in this country. And if you were someone who was watching 2016 as much as I was as a reporter, you could tell that something was happening with people without, like, white people without a college degree, right? That that was something that was happening with President Trump and that, and so, doing that, understanding the different demographics, understanding that Latinos are not a monolith, black, black people are not a monolith, Asian Americans are not a monolith. Um, it's gonna take more money and more resources in a way that, you know, in this media environment where there's so there's only so much money, right? And there's only so much, you, only ways to make money. Um, that investment is gonna be really intense. It should be really intense over the next years to kind of figure out what's going on in this country because we are at an it feels like we're, we're at an inflection point in this country in which i don't think you know many of the reports i haven't seen i'm 31 um and that most reporters i talk to who've been doing this for much longer haven't seen either yeah um or go ahead eric if you're gonna say something sorry i'm looking no at i i think that i think that's excellent insight and you know kind of thinking about a, a couple of things directly um, that we've had the chance to kind of review uh, over your reporting. You talked about uh, the black vote um, and both Trump and Biden getting it wrong. Um, you know, in terms of race in this election, you know, obviously, and, and uh, Zach has mentioned this as well in terms of folks talking about uh, on the democratic side and using Trump being a racist uh, as a narrative. It didn't really seem to stick if we look at the map here. What? Just kind of curious about some of your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think the thing that um, Democrats do, Republicans do um, in elections is they hope that one message works for everyone that looks similar. Um, they hope it's easier that, that way. It's know? much easier. It's less. You spend less right. money. It, you know, on a on a kind of cynical level, like it like makes sense, right? Um, and you in this country where we have the socioeconomic status of people being so huge in the way they see and think about the world, um, where they live, the kind of access to healthcare, their access to um, you know, discretionary spending, those kinds of things, you're getting a split in a lot of places, right? Like obviously Trump was never gonna win the black vote, but if the only argument to black people is Donald Trump is a racist, you're not gonna win that, right? Like I talked to a lot of black people throughout the year um, who, what I kept hearing, um, whether they were activists or just like normal people um, was that, yeah, white people are racist. You know what I mean? Like that, they just like think that. And so it's like, okay, so if everybody's racist, why would I go vote for anybody? And so you mm -hmm. have Joe Biden, who the author of the 1994 crime bill that disproportionately impacted black men in this country, mm -hmm. um, you know, you have, so, you know, even this year when he was kind of, you know, remembering the good old days in the Senate where he worked with segregationists, he like name checked some people who had terrible views about black people. These are things like if you put those two candidates up against each other, there are black people in this country who I, I've talked to, there's a lot of reporting on this that are like, yeah, you're all kind of the same. 
You know what I mean? And so you have to give them something else. You have to give them something that is, um, you know, what are you going to do for me? How do you make it better? And I think, you know, <laughs> we started seeing like Ice Cube and Little Wayne, like kind of coming out in <laughs> very pump, strange yeah. ways, Little Pump. Um, but the thing that's really funny is one, just watching that frenzy about uh, around that proved that the media and Democrats see Black people as democratic when why would you think, why would we right. think Little Wayne or Ice Cube are Democrats? They have never told us. We don't know that. You know what I mean? And so like they were like, oh my God, why is Little Wayne with Donald Trump? Like, maybe he's a Republican. We don't know. He also can't vote because he's a felon. You know what I mean? So it's like, <laughs> we actually don't know. And so yeah. there's this, <laughs> there, there are all these, um, our personal biases and under, misunderstanding of, of groups of people that feed into all of this and it pops up. Um, and the, and Twitter is the worst. Like Twitter is the place where all of oh, that yeah. is happening the most. You know, it's just like, it is a cesspool of, of an echo chamber of an echo chamber of an echo chamber. Like most right. Americans aren't on there. Um, and I think that's Democrats, you talked about like, you know, them getting excited about Texas or Georgia and all of those things that happened a lot on Twitter, right? Like that, and, and if you allow Twitter to run your campaign, you're kind of screwed because that's not where like real Americans are, quote unquote, but they're real Americans. But I mean, like, you know, like the average American's not yeah, on right there, American. right? Hillary, the Hillary Clinton campaign, one of the criticisms there was that they were too much listening to the echo chamber. It seems like the Joe Biden campaign did not, has not done that, right? We'll see right. as to how the numbers shake out, but it looks like they played a game that was based on what they knew to be true, right? The Midwest was important. He had a chance in Arizona in a way that Democrats haven't had in a very long time um, and ignored. He didn't go to Texas. They sent Kamala Harris kind of in the last days. Um, he did not go to Texas. They spent a lot more money in Georgia, you know what I mean, than Democrats right. have before. Um, but they, they, weren't they weren't concentrating so much on expanding the map, just using pipe dreams that Democrats have on how humongous states like Texas would go just off of demographics. Because just looking at demographics, you don't know how voters are gonna vote sometimes. Right. The One of the things I always, and when Biden won the nomination, I was optimistic on their campaign, even before Corona, where I think he became a very compelling candidate, mm. um, was that they were very, in my opinion, exceptional in the primary of just never taking the bait. They were very, they were very good at uh, staying away from like woke left identity politics or things like that. Um, so, and and I agree that they, you know, entertained the Texas or or, or you know South Carolina or whatever these narratives were, but they were not, um, you know, diverting mass amounts of resources right, there right. And, and things like that. I, actually, it was a progressive left that really did a lot of the Texas stuff, where you had yeah. AOC and Beto putting in two million phone calls into Texas day before an election. Um, so TBD, if that's the move. Yeah. Um, the, uh, in hindsight, it was a terrible move, I guess. Uh, but so my, but where I was getting at was like, when you're, when we started running in particular, um, there's this tendency, and I think it's um, probably more on the Democratic side than the Republican side, but I'm not hundred percent sure. And I'd love your thoughts. It's like where the tendency, and you touched on this, but the tendency to like talk about your lane, it's like, What's your lane? And then you start talking about people in groups like, oh, we're going to win the black vote. We've got a piece of appealing to Latinos. We got suburban moms and all these implications where uh, because of your identity or role or skin color or whatever it is in society, um, 
they're all going to line up behind you or you can get these large swaths of them. And what Andrew is very good at, and I think Republicans and specifically Trump is very good at, is like, I don't care who you are. This is the message, right? Um, and they weren't great at the message this time. I think it's why they lost. Um, but in 2016, they were excellent at it. Um, and Andrew was excellent at it in his own way, um, where it's like, I don't, you know, I don't know what my lane is, but you know, automation's coming. <laughs> everybody that right. last month, um, to put it really simply and almost stupidly. But um, so thoughts on, I, I would love your thoughts on elaborating that more on how the the parties pick their lanes in that sense and where you've seen, and like if that, um, how the, how you thought that played out last night? Cause I don't think the lanes yeah. helped so much except for probably the Midwest lane, um, which is yeah. very broad, you know? So one thing about Democrats is Democrats, the issues that Democrats care about are kind of like right now, right in your face issues, right? Healthcare, um, you know, making sure that people have really good health care, climate change. Those are like the top issues when you talk to Democratic voters and leaders right now. Republic, so, so that doesn't give you a lot of time to kind of like plan for the future and plan a lot of things, right? And plan how you want to, to get different types of voters. You kind of have to sprint and just assume things often. Um, Republicans are much better at taking the long view, right? You can go back all the way to um, Ronald Reagan and thinking about how patient the right has been in taking over the Republican Party, right? From Reagan to Trump, they did it in they were they were ruthless in the in the way they did it. You know what I mean? Especially in 2010, um, they were um, strategic and and patient in ways that I don't think the left of the Democratic Party um, has been and can be. Right? Like they're the issues are are more in your face and concerning, especially now thinking about climate change, right? Um, and so it's Republicans pick like a lane that is almost singularly focused, right? Whereas Democrats lane is so wide, right? It's basically like its own highway. And so it makes it much harder to, to get everyone on board. By definition, the Democratic Party is a big tent, right? Like they have so many people that they're trying to, to appeal to. Um, it is It is not a... Um, homogeneous group of people, right? Like they have the base of the Democratic Party, which people keep forgetting. They were reminded in South Carolina, they were reminded through this primary, Black people are the base of the Democratic Party. Not the left, not the, yes, Black women in particular. Um, they The left is not the base of the Democratic Party, right? They are not, it is not the left base. No, it is a left at the left part of the Democratic Party, right? And so when you are trying to appeal to the left, quote unquote, which is less um, diverse, right? We're thinking about white people with a college degree. That is largely who makes up, when you, I did a story earlier this year talking to um, people on the left and they're like, yeah, that's, our, that's one of our problems, the lack of diversity and trying to take over the Democratic Party that is full of people who don't look like them, right? And the way that you do that is it, it's more difficult to do that. If the left was trying to take over a white party, like a party where the base was mostly white, it would be much easier to do. But it's hard to do because black voters, when you go and talk to them, they, my, my family's from South Carolina. So for a decade of you know, reporting, I've been using them as kind of like my, my go-to your, your focus group. Right, exactly. <laughs> your exactly. barometer. So like, I know the people. Um, yeah. and, and, and in 2016, when I was like, oh, like, what do you guys think of, you know, Bernie or Hillary? Um, and everything that they said, you know, I go, to, we go to my grandmother's church, both of my grandmother's churches, right? There's a Methodist and a Baptist. So there's another swath of people. 
And everyone's like, well, why should people have things free? Why, you know, like what? So like, those are the kinds of things that the Republican party doesn't have to deal with that the, the, uh, the Democratic Party does, right? Like trying to convince people who think a lot differently than each other based on their lived experience and um, based on where they live. And so um, how the left deals with that and how they take whatever happens tonight, right? They're going to, there's gonna be an autopsy from both of these, um, both of these parties in this election. What lessons they learn is the lesson for the Democratic Party to move further left or is it to moderate? Because you're, if if Joe Biden wins, we're seeing him up already by three million votes in the popular vote. That's where Hillary Clinton was, right? She won about three million, three million of the popular votes over Donald Trump. You're new if he if he gets eight to nine million in the popular vote, where and still like barely ekes it or loses. How, what does that mean? Like, that's not like that, you're where you can, the turnout can be high. The turnout was huge in this election for both of these men, apparently. And so it's like, how do you, how do you, when you get these votes, how do you win the electoral college? You know what I mean? People right. you know, want to abolish electoral college, all of those things. There's all these ways in which people see it as unfair. And yet that's the system we have. And so it's like, you have to work for the system you have. You can't have a pipe dream of like, up pumping up the popular vote. Is this going to be a system where, you know, you have to win 10 million, 15 million to have a decisive victory in the Electoral College? That is kind of what the Democratic Party is having to think about in the future. Yep. It's so weird right now that we're having this conversation. If if no one, if I was just listening to this, they would think <laughs> Joe Biden lost. Um, right. And he might have a relatively decisive victory, which is wild. But look, it one of the, I think the media, this is probably like to answer like the first question I asked you, what do you think the media's role in, in screwing this up? And I don't want to be mindful of time. We got to hop soon, but the, there's a certain element of the media in implying this is a national movement race. And it's really not. It's, it's not. like 20 counties that matter, yeah. right? Like Trump lost, Trump won Florida because he closed the gap in Miami-Dade County, period, the end. Yep. Like that is like right. pretty much it because Biden made waves in Jacksonville, where it, which has never gone blue. He's in Duval County there. He's made waves around Orlando and some of the suburbs. Didn't matter. Miami didn't go as well for him. Lost Cuban-American vote the way that Hillary had it. Done. See you later. And it's that on every state, it's these pockets. Um, so I think to your point, like homogeneous societies are easier to to persuade and govern. And, and when you have the diversity, which is a strength of the Democrats, it's also a weakness in its own way. So, um, so let's, uh, I want to, I want to, I think a good way to close. Um, and first thing I want to do is I can't let you leave without pointing this out. Your hair looks magnificent, unbelievable. Magnificent. Absolutely. So <laughs> those of you who can't see him, some of you listen to this. So Eugene has this incredible, like 70s style Afro right now. Um, Oh, Eugene can't hear me. Well, whatever, I'll take it. Um, so Eugene has this incredible afro right now where when I first met Eugene, it was slick. Sl I mean, shaved, like smooth as butter, like just totally clean shaving, clean cut. And now we've got this epicness. Rash like, is this a COVID thing? You, I mean, you look amazing, but I'm I'm curious on what you're what you're going for, man. What's is this? Uh, does this help as a reporter? I bet it does. <laughs> I, I, was, I think this was, if I, as I recall, I think this was kind of COVID inspired and then, and then, you know, took kind of just kept it after that. Right, Eugene? 
That is one hundred percent. I did. I did. I don't. This is about the, my my throw. It's so. It started literally as a corn throw. It was an accident. It was. I didn't. I did not want to cut my hair whatsoever. I was too scared to mess it up. Um, and then it started to. It kept growing. And I think one of the reasons that I never. I always wanted to keep my hair close to my scalp um, was that I. You know, I didn't feel professional, right? Like I had been told mm. for years that like an afro wasn't. You know, this wasn't the '70s. This is. You know, it's not super prof- professional. And so looking at it now and going you know i go on national tv or whatever and, and i'm still I'm, I'm still a political reporter no one fired me because i have an afro um, <laughs> yeah yeah um it it is it's just like this it's it's fun it is it's when i like when i stressed last night i got to pull it a lot in which i didn't have i wouldn't been able to do before so that part was fun um i love this thing i don't think it's going anywhere people can ask me like how are you going to cut it and i'm like i don't think i am i think we just see it. if it grows right off and becomes its own being and sits right next to yeah. me, which is very it, Look, look I don't know if COVID's going to like sway our, like our hair length per, you know, standards <laughs> for everybody, you know, um, but it look, you look professional to me, man. Uh, let's, you. let's close with this question, boss. Um, what, this is going to air Thursday morning. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's Wednesday at one thirty Eastern time while we're, we're recording this guys. Uh, Eugene, prediction. Where do we end up at the end of the day here, um, according to Eugene Daniels of Politico? Yeah, um, predictions are dangerous. I'm going to be careful here. Yeah, I mean, you can I be, think you can, that yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, what we're seeing right now is what we were telling people and what we had expected. Right? We people were saying like it's going to be a blowout. What we kept saying at Politico, what I kept saying was that it's probably going to be very close. It's going to look on Tuesday night, there's gonna be this red mirage, right? And that red mirage held. But once you get that influx of mail-in votes that are largely from democratic counties, largely from Democrats writ large, um, they were the people that were more likely to do that. You see this, you know, changes in Wisconsin, we're seeing changes in Michigan. Um, Pennsylvania's a little shaky for Democrats right now. Um, I think, that Joe Biden might be able to eke it out. If those things hold, Joe Biden may be able to eke it out. It won't be the decisive victory they thought. Um, And if that does happen, we are in the buckle up because the president and his campaign have already made it very clear that they want to um, take this thing to court, right? The president yesterday said something that was kind of shocking to everyone that he wanted to take it straight to the Supreme Court and for votes to stop counting. That is not how this works. He can't just go straight to the, he can't just like walk over, right? And go straight to the Supreme Court. But I am expecting, like in Wisconsin, for example, um, his campaign has already announced today on on Wednesday that they are looking to, you know, ask for a recount. So this is going to be possibly a long and drawn out process. Um, Buckle in, chill out. This is not going to be, you know, this isn't going to be, and I think this might be how elections might be for a while. Like very close we won't know on the night of and and this country will continue to pull apart um when it comes to um, being so polarized and that's going to be fascinating so president trump is, is still up in the air right like he could win it's just hard in some of these states like michigan and wisconsin when you're looking at where these votes could come from like where he finds those votes to to take over there man it's uh these are scary but um and a little dark words from Eugene. Very insightful, <laughs> but I, I feel like I need like two tums at least right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, 
I I think I'm on record saying I'm pro. I'd rather have a landslide either way, just for because I'm pro democracy, you know. And I hope I felt good about our democratic process so far. Um, but no one likes losing, and um, Trump actually now has fuel to the fire that the media is wrong because these mm-hmm. polls were so wrong. So, um, but I don't think there's there doesn't seem to be any evidence of like voter tampering and things like that, which is what he's no, going to have to argue. You no, know? Right. and and all these secretaries of state who are in these states who have come forward and done their own press conference today, we've been talking to them behind the scenes. None of them are saying any anything about irregularities, right? So you're not seeing that happening. You're not seeing Republicans even in some of these states, you know, elected Republicans um, saying, you know, there's fraud here, there's fraud there. They're not saying right. that. If if the Republicans had lost the Senate and in the, the House, and then Trump was losing too, I think you'd have a really nasty fight. But there are some Republicans that have been falling in line behind Trump that don't like him. So if they're in a situation where they can keep control of the Senate um, and they don't have to deal with Trump anymore. That makes a lot of their lives easier. So if it does, you know, come down to political influence, influence in uh, even some of these states who have had to run on a Trump platform that didn't want to, um, you might you might end up seeing them concede, um, knowing that they still have some sort of power in Congress. Um, no, it's true. It's CBD. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, t- I mean, in, I mean, don't forget in Georgia, it's still possible that we get two runoffs in Georgia, right? Yeah. Um, and that wouldn't happen until January. So where, when in January, we don't know, right? So it's like those kinds of things are shaky. Susan Collins just um, said that Sarah Gideon called her um, and conceded the race. So Democrats didn't do as well in the Senate as, yeah. as they really wanted to. Oh, no. Um, and so even if there is a joke. Or in the House. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, Shalala, we did not expect that, right? Shalala losing there in um, Florida. Um, mm-hmm. And so there are a lot of things that... Um, that the Democratic Party, even if they win, if Joe Biden wins, then they still need to figure out in, in a lot of the parts of the country. You got some massive soul searching, man. Well, yeah. Eugene, look, I know you're, you're, this is like the Super Bowl for y'all, and I appreciate you taking <laughs> the time. Yeah, thank um, you so much, Eugene. For us. Thank you, guys. We're, we're, we have nothing but respect for you and, and what you do. And um, we've seen, <laughs> Eric and I have lived, lived, uh, with the impact of bad reporters. So we really do appreciate the good ones. So thank you for all you do, Bob. <laughs> thank you, thank guys. You, thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Have a so good much. one, Eugene. Thank you, you Bob. This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses as tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. 
That's helixsleep.com slash yang. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. So, uh, look, I think, um, and I've talked about this with Andrew, it's um, it's not great. Um, it is looking pretty good to okay for a Biden victory. It looks like um, Arizona's going to go Biden. Um, you've got uh, potentially Georgia and then um, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, all looking like Biden could squeak those out, particularly as absentee ballots come in and they're more leaning Joe than than Donald. So he'll pick up some small lead, so enough pick up his lead, or he'll chip into the Trump lead and should be able to to take um, at least one of those states, which should be enough, but would probably two or three. Um, there is a the concern with um, with Republicans and and Donald Trump fighting this victory. So I'm not feeling good, but I think I want to like. I want like to take a step back and think about like what this like what this means for the country. Um, and I think the Democrats, even though they won, need to have a real heavy soul searching. And we said this in 2016, but there was part of this narrative that you know Hillary Clinton was like not a good candidate in many ways, or, or disliked so severely in parts of the country that um, I think that glossed over some of the bigger problems with that race um, where the Democrats still have. Um, and there's, there's just so, I mean, is there a single rural area on this map that went for Joe Biden? I think the answer is no, I have no. not seen one. Um, there might be some small exceptions, um, but literally if it's literally, if you voted, if you live with a lot of people, you're voting Joe. And if you don't live with a lot of people, you're voting Trump. And there's no there's no wiggle room there, you know, and, and that is really divisive, you know, and, and thinking of the rural areas, particularly for farmers, um, you know, Trump certainly did a job of, of, of trying to say that he did a lot for farmers. Uh, the irony was, is that it wasn't him personally. It was just taxpayer dollars that were helping funding, funding these pieces. But, you know, it's an, and that's at, that's its own subject in terms of um, Trump's mastery of finagling uh, the numbers to work in his favor um yeah. uh in governance and, and i feel like that certainly you know plays a role for his base um but yeah i mean i think you're absolutely right and it's it you know there's no good reason why that should happen uh there was certainly an era where, where democrats uh largely spoke to rural areas and it just seems like you know in an effort to um uh keep up with the ever-changing uh desires of the party we've kind of escaped that in some ways so it's, you know, we could talk about this through blue in the face, but the reality is we're going to get results coming in over the next 24 to 48 hours. We won't know. So hold tight. We got a long way to go. Um, we need to count them and make sure we counted them well. And um, the Republicans or whoever loses will fight this. You know, it's, I don't want to blame Republicans. Like if for all of a sudden Trump squeaks out all the Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, like the Dems will be ready to fight that too if they think there was right. You know, yeah, we would we would do the exact same thing <laughs> for sure. And uh, so this will be a dog fight, and it'll take a while. I but I think regardless who wins, and I think it looks like Joe Biden will eat this out. 
this narrative that I think I had, or at least I had seen from the media that Donald Trump has completely mishandled COVID, that um, people are supportive of the protests, supportive of all of the things that Democrats stand for, um, is false. It's false. There's a large, large percent of the country that just don't like Democrats. Um, and right. they don't, they, they, um, it's like the, the statement Republicans fall or Democrats fall in love, Republicans fall, fall in line. Love, fall um, line. And, uh, there's Republicans that are voting for platform over the guy. Um, and even though we have not, it's like by any objective measurement, not necessarily handled COVID with, you know, flying colors, they don't seem to care because they have strong principles on where this country should go that the Democrat Party is missing. Now, I Joe's mean, done a better job. So, I mean, I, the Republican Party just does an absolutely incredible job at every level of installing their echo chamber so effectively. And I'm, you know, I, I know we're going to have uh, Liz Smith here um, this afternoon, uh, or she's going to be speaking with us on this podcast. And I feel like, you know, I'll be interested to hear kind of her takes on this, but you know, their mastery of, of being able to stick to, and, and and we heard it from Eugene, like just, you know, uh, hitting their lanes, but hitting them in a way that stick and land um, and amplify with their base is something that I feel like I keep like thinking about uh, cycles and cycles past, but nothing that's really been fixed on our side. Um, you know, I saw someone tweet yeah. uh, the other day, it was a journalist and she was, she, she tweeted out an exchange with her father and, uh, you know, and he was hitting every single Fox News um, uh, positive point on the Trump administration. And it was it, it was an eyebrow raiser for me because I really exact same thing from my dad. <laughs> and it's like they can't be the only two. There's you know, there's a lot of that. Whereas I feel they're like um, not, man, they're clearly they're, not. They're the not. Only two. Yeah. And. In 2016, I've said this before, is Donald was Donald Trump had a great message, not necessarily saying, um, you know, I personally agreed with it, but it was powerful. It was we need to make America great again. We need to start winning again. We need to drain the swamp, like build the wall. Like these are very visceral messages. Um, and what's shocking to me is I thought his message was really bad this time around, or in, in my opinion, ineffective, which was like, COVID's not that big of a deal. Joe Biden's radical left was kind of the big two, or he's corrupt. Um, and I was like, those seem to be reaching a bit. And that's not true. Like Trump's not going to lose this because of turnout per se. I mean, he's going to lose. Um, I mean, essentially, I guess that's how you always lose, but it's not, you know, he won Florida and North Carolina, and he's probably going to steal. He won Ohio. He's going to maybe steal one of Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, um, or Michigan. Like those are, um, that's not Trump missed the message, you know, or they, or that they um, either the socialist message, radical left message, um, or COVID's not a big deal message is what a lot of people agree with, or they love the way Donald explains things. They love his vision for the country. Um, and they don't like what's happening on the left. Um, so, uh, that is the takeaway here in, in my opinion, where there was just so much, um, we missed. Wow. There she is. There she is. How many hours of sleep are we, are we operating on? I did four. We, How all did you together get? we have eight hours. 
I like, I mean, I spent time laying in a bed. I don't know what the rest of my body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that, counts. Difference. that counts. That counts. <laughs> um, Liz, how are you? Are is you this okay? Bunk bed behind you, Zach. Oh yeah, this is my child. It's actually not my childhood bedroom, but it's been my parents moved and then brought my childhood bedroom here. So yeah, bunk beds. That's uh, amazing. to Zach and now Andrew Yang somewhere back there. Yeah, it's great. Okay. I am so thrilled. We have such an awesome lineup of guests today. And one it's of fantastic. our favorite, I say our, Eric, because this is collective. It's a we thing. For sure. Our favorite people <laughs> from the trail. We basically just had to bring our friends from the trail onto this podcast. So yeah. Um, and our friends happen to be, I guess it makes us look good too. Our friends happen to be brilliant and very really insightful. So Very important um, people. <laughs> I, it is my pleasure to welcome to this podcast, I'm going to call it author innovator influencer um, icon and someone who i think <laughs> eloquently from the left talks about the issues of men in this country um in a very thoughtful interesting way um and also just someone who's just been fun on the trail as a good, beautiful human being and cares and um brilliant thoughtful all these great things so please welcome msnbc columnist influencer creative extraordinaire i get it all liz plank welcome welcome what's welcome up? what's up how are we all doing we, let's let's we do said, some box breathing can we we start off with a few breaths <laughs> we were joking breaths. before the show that we collectively may have gotten eight hours of sleep combined but i don't yeah. know eric just lied in a bed i think there was no yeah sleep. just stared up at the ceiling just waiting for time to just take a little bit. I kept waking up at night looking at my phone just to see if there's something some something new and nothing really happened. Yeah. Uh, it's been a wild night. Liz, like I think the easiest place to start is I mean, how are you digesting what you're looking at? Well, I think uh first of all, I'm fielding as a Canadian, I'm fielding a lot of um marriage proposals this morning so i'd love to just uh, put it out there on the podcast just stop texting me um uh asking me to marry you uh, take me out to dinner oh. first you know um, also th this is the first american election where you actually can move to canada you are banned from canada ah. right now there's a travel ban on americans so so there's nothing i can do for you okay um so i just want to put that out there i think um look th this was this was this felt very 2016-ish, right? It felt uh, very similar where the polls um, were predicting something that was very different from what we experienced on election night. But it is not um, uncommon for us to not have the results, right? Usually we have a semblance of results, but those are predictions. And yeah, uh, Michigan, Pennsylvania, uh, Wisconsin, those uh, uh, states did not start counting their votes uh, before the polls closed. And so it's just gonna take more time. Um, so I think everything, I think the worst case scenario sort of unfolded for Democrats, especially with Trump saying that he was going to basically delegitimize the results and uh, say he was gonna win, even though he hasn't. And we're seeing that narrative take off. And, and I think we're seeing the media still be unprepared in terms of how to handle that and how to handle an undemocratic leader uh, like Donald Trump. It's funny because, um... I'll just quickly say it's uh, 
it is in one way a worst case scenario, but it also could be way worse. We could have like Democrats could oh. have gotten actually stomped, stomped. Um, there's still a chance Joe pulls us out. Um, but it is. I agree with you. It's it's dark. Eric, go ahead. Sorry, I cut you off, boss. No, no. I I, I think I think you know I'm just kind of soaking everything in. But it is it is very 2016 esque, as you mentioned. Yeah. I feel like it's 2016 esque folded in with like. 2000 and also like you know obviously trump's own personal brand of being able to just throw stink on something that doesn't exist yeah Yeah. (laughs) and that's that's what i meant by the worst case scenario it's the worst case scenario to 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 let that narrative um Mm. you know sort sort of take off in in the way that he wanted it to but again we knew that those states would come in later uh and and right we described it as a red mirage and then there'd be a blue wave when 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 we wake up in the next following days and that's just what's happening but he's using that um yeah to to, to his advantage i don't know if he could have been able to really say that if he would lost florida right um and and obviously yeah florida did not um did not deliver no How do you guys feel? How, how did you predict how the way that I, I feel like after 2016, a lot of us were were preparing ourselves for the worst. Did you still were you still surprised? I um, I'll start and I'll say, so Andrew's been very pro, like the saying like Biden's gonna roll, and I was always like, ah, you know, I don't think so, man. I think it's like closer, <laughs> and so I um. I, you know, conservatively thought Trump was going to squeak this out, um, and my gut was right. I don't know if the, the result was right. Um, you know, he like the polls were so so wrong again, and um, yeah, very frustrating um, to watch. And that Florida, North Carolina, just dead off. Ohio was essentially correct, um, but even Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, which I think Biden will squeak out, they weren't a landslide, which. Yeah. A lot of polls were predicting uh, or not landslide, but, you know, far more than two or three percentage points where, where it's going to end up. And that's shocking to me. So, yeah, I don't know. Eric, how are right. you feeling? I've asked Eric, a yeah. bunch of times, but I feel like it changes. We, we all change with it, cha- it changes. It changes with whatever projection ends up happening next. Right. I mean, that's yeah. the way it's supposed to be. But I don't know. Like, you know, I look back to 2016. I was a, a D.C. resident um, and, mm-hmm. you know, obviously had some super visceral feelings um, uh, based off of like what our polling indicated to us. Then I feel like this time around, I I've, I've, I've felt a little bit smarter, wiser, a little bit, you know, uh, uh, not as optimistic as folks who were saying we were going to see a blowout victory. I always felt like it was going to be close, but still obviously in our favor. Um, but I, I do feel like, you know, it's as we're seeing these results unfold, like even when the numbers are done, uh, we're going to be looking at a, a, a two countries that, you know, <laughs> essentially built into one. And there, I mean, obviously, when an election happens, there's always going to be a side that's happy and upset. But I mean, based off of what we saw leading into this election and things like you know, the Trump car caravans and all the hostility and mm-hmm. everything we experienced over the summer. The fact that we're still going to be in a COVID area for months um, and, and the breakdown of, of, you know, the House and Senate, all these things. It's like we're just getting started. Like we thought it was mm-hmm. going to wrap up after we get this thing certified. So like, I'm, but, you know, like all things uh, that, that uh, were recommended by therapists, take it one step at a time. <laughs> yeah. at least, let's get through this walk and then figure out the next one later. Oh. So, um, yeah, I'd love to to ask you, Liz, um, I'm just going to dive in because we got a quick question for you. Um, I think 
So I'll start with this, and Eric, and it's kind of a broader question before you dive into some of the things I think you're specifically talented at too that apply to this yeah. race. Um, but so I, I don't know if I told you that I I grew up Republican. I lean right generally, um, at least on some of the issues like the economy and things like that. But so you are one of the more left vocal left people I know. Um, so I'm actually really curious on your perspective, like. Talk to me and for our listeners, like, and for just for context, our listeners are like, uh, it's the Yang gang generally. Um, mm -hmm. So it's a lot of, uh, it's, you got a little, little libertarian streak. There's a lot of not left or right forward. It's kind of a problem solving crowd. Um, and if you're listening to this and you don't fall in that bucket, I apologize. Um, but, you know, from you, from the left, Liz, like going into last night, like talk to us about like your expectations going in and what you uh, compare that to what you saw as the reality. I'm really curious on that perspective for our people. Yeah, look, exit polls are already are, are always um, uh, iffy, and and I'm I'm very reluctant to use them to draw any conclusions. But obviously, that's sort of <laughs> all we're working with right now. Some of the things that I, some of the trends that I've found the most, um, I, I think, fascinating and, and, and that pertain to the work that I do around masculinity and, and, and particularly a, around the way that men's identities have progressed or unfolded over the last few years, especially under, un, under Trump. We've seen uh, men, uh, I mean, Trump always had white men. And he had the largest coalition of white men um, than any candidate when he won in 2016 in the last 65 years. So mm -hmm. white men, for sure, went hard for Donald Trump. And Donald Trump really spoke to them directly and, and sort of shamelessly. And what we're seeing this, you know, four years later is actually less white men going for Trump. So we've seen a small drop and an increase with men who are Latino, with men who are black, and even black women uh, and Latinas. So so there's something, again, these are based on exit polls, which may or may not be accurate. And again, famously, we should not rely on them too heavily. But if in the next coming days, we start to see that trend, I think that there's a really important question for the Democratic Party um, of why that is and why they cannot hold on to these coalitions um, and that the solution that seemed to exist in Biden, that if we come up with a centrist kind of guy, someone who doesn't ruffle any feathers, someone who doesn't necessarily uh, side with the working class, that's just kind of in the middle. And, you know, Biden was kind of like tofu, right? You can just put whatever you sort of, you can project whatever you want onto him. Um, that that might not be a winning proposition, that you have to offer people something and that the Democratic Party has to offer people something. And so it's it's interesting to think about, yeah, how a Bernie Sanders would have uh, performed, how an Andrew Yang would have performed. I think those are really important questions for the Democratic Party, um, especially, again, as as we see yeah, men of color, particularly um, moving for Trump. And, and and again, I'm talking about it because even before the election, we already were seeing those trends in, in certain states. And and yeah, black and Latino men um, seeing Donald Trump as a symbol of strength and dominance. And yeah, a guy who has a lot of money and that they even if he did mm -hmm. it illegally and he is stealing from the IRS, that at least he made it. And yeah. when so many men are struggling in our country and are feeling that stagnation, that fantasy works. And the Democratic Party needs to counter yeah, yeah. it with something better. 
Yeah, I always say too. It's like up until tr Trump was the the um, uh, the Republican, you know, uh, bellwether in terms of whether they wanted to support him before he became a candidate. He was largely known as like the epitome of American wealth for a very long time. Um, and yeah, it's kind of like going going to see a movie and living vicariously through that. Uh, yeah. You know, there are people that that look to Trump as as someone who they kind of like idolize in some different ways. Uh, which is both uh, interesting and disconcerting as well. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I mean, it, it's, well, go ahead. No, 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 I was just going to say, you're right. And even if you think about hip hop and, you know, how many songs, uh, you know, it, it, rap bunch. songs from the 90s. Yeah, Trump would be dropped. His name was dropped more than, I don't know, like many other white men. He was all over pop, pop culture. Yes. Yeah. Um, the, well, here's my question, because I think, and we were talking about this before, about the the you said you Democrats have to offer their voters something and what you're really talking about is, is probably a vision or at least a policy of that's like a a differentiator or new and exciting um, and I'm curious on your thoughts and both of you I think would be this is a really interesting question is that um, like looking at what the Democrats options were you know, it looks like Joe's going to pull this off. Um, but so that's not necessarily, this is just a fun game, if you will. But like looking at what the Democrats options were, um, how do you think um, like some, like a progressive, let's not, let's exclude Yang from this because Yang is, is kind of tough, but how would a progressive have performed in your opinion? And, and I'll start by saying like, my thought is given how strong the rural urban divide was and given um, that, Joe was so like middle of the road and so many things and Trump is so polarizing like to me and the attack lines on Joe were essentially that you're the radical left and you're a socialist in many of these counties like to me like that is evidence that Bernie or um, some of the far left or Warren would have done substantially worse um, but I, I don't I, I'm, I'm curious what you what your thought Liz and then Eric I know you have mm. passionate thoughts this is too. You know what's so interesting? And I'm just thinking about that while you're, you're asking this question. Why don't you think that Andrew Yang was painted as a socialist when it was so uh, easy for people to paint Bernie as, as a socialist, when arguably what Andrew Yang was presenting um, was a form of was a form of socialism. Yes, exactly. But there is an interesting thing where, because I, I agree with you, I was arguing with a Bernie bro last night over to one of my friends. Uh, my dad is also Bernie bro, so we go back and forth a lot on this. And, right. and yeah, he was saying Bernie, Bernie would have won, Bernie would have won Texas. And I was like, there's no way. I, I just yeah, cannot see right. that happening. And he, you know, yeah, what, what was arguing uh, that Bernie offers something different that, we, that the Democratic uh, Party needs to stop trying to turn over, like, having the Lincoln Project uh, strategy of turning over this small group of Republicans and actually try and find, find that coalition of, you know, the, the working class people of color who just don't vote. Um, and, 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 but then, yeah, I, I, I just kept thinking about how Fox News and that machine has just branded Bernie as such a socialist that it just would have never sort of happened. But I think with an Andrew Yang, it, it, it would have been a different deal. And, and I guess my, my question, I, I'm, like throwing yeah. it back to you of like why yeah. that is why what why what is so polarizing about bernie that isn't about uh, andrew yang i think or like simply i think like simply put is actually like bernie like the easiest answer is like bernie and aoc and and those that you put throwing that cat have actually besides warren have actually said i like socialism or right. like 
thought the DS, the Democratic Social, whatever DSA stands for at this point, but the socialist arm of the Democratic Party right. endorsement or have not, you know, Warren did this pretty well. She's like, I'm a capitalist to my bones, but Bernie and, and co on the left have not. Um, but that even that aside, like Andrew always talks about the semantics of socialism, where like semantic uh, socialism is when the government subsidizes or owns means of production and that on the right, um, speaking as a former Republican, that's terrifying. Um, the, the, the crazy example is the DMV running your health care. Um, but the real example is like um, where you have some of these like really like some policies that are uh, to the right and maybe in general might be insane, but on the right um, sound insane. So having mm. one health care mm. option run by the government which is how the right portrays medicare for all that to like that sounds crazy because a lot of people like their private insurance and i think biden did a good job on saying look i'm a public option guy i think if you like insurance you keep it but we have let the government compete and that's what most other countries do um they um so like there's there's that piece and the other the other ones you can go down the list of whether it's um defunding the police which like yes there's nuance to that but like on the face of it, that sounds ridiculous, right? So there's like so many, that's where they, like socialism is an easy catch-all phrase for making America not what America is, you know? Um, so mm -hmm. that's where my thought, and Andrew, like, yes, he's got really big, to answer your question, Andrew has really big ideas, universal basic income is big, but um, it's actually, a, a you know, it's, it's been a policy on the right too. So that in itself is not inherently right. like lefty or righty. And then he's, he's really just fact-based on a lot of stuff. So it's tough to like, if you listen to Andrew, it's tough to him to be like, Oh, that guy's psycho. Like, you know, like, but if you listen to some right. stuff, Bernie says, and the left is like, yeah. And like the right's like, that guy sounds nuts. Um, so right. that's like and nothing against Bernie. I'm a big, I'm a, I'm a fan in, in, in a lot of what he stands for. So yeah. that's like my take. Um, Eric, I don't have anything to add. I was going to say, yeah. I mean, I mean, I always like to think through a communications lines and, and uh, you know, specifically the question why Andrew was, was able in some way to uh, evade that was, you know, we had the the benefit with Andrew being a first time candidate for anything, uh, having him run on his narrative as opposed to a voting record in a lot of ways. And I think that really, mm. uh, you know, can be helpful, um, you know, when you're when you're trying to start something new in particular. And I think that, you know, people looked at Andrew more as a, a tech entrepreneur and obviously, you know, Bernie Sanders has been in office for some time. Um, and, and I, I feel like that helped us in a lot of ways, uh, be able to tell the story we wanted to tell uh, without it being labeled. That and also people not taking us seriously for a very long time. They would have probably painted him as a socialist in its own way. Eventually. Uh, Eventually, uh, yeah. We, you know, yeah. But I think you're right. I think, I I think your, Bernie, th your thoughts, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think Bernie, I mean, Bernie's a populist leader or, or, or that's the way that, that that's his leadership style. And, and I think, yeah. uh, again, early in 2016, I think there, there was this idea that a populist like Trump can only be, be, be beaten by a populist like Bernie Sanders. Um, but I think that you're right that we often don't think about the way that people receive messages and who the messenger <laughs> is, is actually right more important than the message in, in, in many instances. And, and I think that Andrew Yang, uh, knew how to talk in a way that conservatives um you know could understand and and that was appealing to them it yeah. wasn't emotional it wasn't billy you know they're coming after it wasn't fear-based 
um, it, it, and, and, and it wasn't, and, and it was very rational and, and very logical and, and data driven, which I think is, is a really good way to talk to conservatives. And, and, and so, yeah, that, that's sort of my analysis of it. Um, and, and, and that's why I just don't, yeah, I, I think a Bernie wouldn't, I mean, do you know any Republicans who would have, who would have voted for Bernie? Um, like yesterday? <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, you, but it's like kind of a, if you had a Trump Bernie, yeah, like if those are your options, then you have some of the, like the left-leaning Republicans or moderate Republicans looking at Bernie, but like, I don't know, like, I think a lot more moderates would have gone to Trump over Bernie, because I think a lot of America, like capitalism is still really popular in yeah. this country. Like, I think uh, socialized medicine in terms of the truest form, like truly Medicare for all, like, like, look, government funded healthcare in terms of like helping you pay for your medical bills and making cheaper options is massively popular. But eliminating mm -hmm. all private insurance and just have Medicare for all, like disastrously unpopular. Um, and I think what like a lot of the Dems miss was they really miss this is like we've play like we as Democrats like play into Fox News's hands and Republicans hands all the yeah. time with some of the stuff we say and the like you, we're like oh Fox is so egregious Fox is like spinning my words but all they have to do they don't even have to spin it like they just clip you know a, a prominent Democrat saying like we need to defund the police and that that sells itself that scares all Republicans you know to high hell so I think mm -hmm. um you know, they would have they would have said Bernie's radical, crazy leftists like it's un-American yeah. to vote for Bernie Sanders. You're going to end up like yeah. you're like it would have been an easy attack for the Republicans, um, for the moderates. Um, and sure. so like Joe, I think one of his greatest strengths in this race is that he doesn't take the bait on that. His mm -hmm. baggage is that he has to navigate through that, but not um, and that he's an establishment politician, but not that he would I mean, he gaffes all the time, but it's not in a socialist scare the Republicans way. I don't know if you agree. Yeah, that's kind of where my head's at. Yeah, no, no, I agree. I mean, if you think about, uh, I think a lot of people on the left were disappointed when he was like, I don't want to defund the police. I'm not for the Green New Deal. Uh, I don't want to ban fracking. I think a lot of people on the left were like, what, you know, yeah. I swear, uh, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you can believe me. Um, but, but I think that you're right. When, when he said those things, my, my thinking was like, good to say it but hopefully build a really progressive coalition once you're in power, which, which again, like, I mean, it's sort of the 80 Barkin. He was in, in, interviewed by the New York times and the, sort of late in the summer and, you know, making the point that most of the radical social change um, that's happened in, in the United States has actually happened under very centrist uh, administrations. It's just that, right. Like that agenda was pushed by the people. And that's sort of yes. where I want to land even today in this, really crippling anxiety and uncertainty that we're all going through. There are so many, right. as humans, we're literally, like our amygdalas right now are just like giant. We're so fear-based. We're just Jacked like, up. ah, thinking about all the bad things. But there are so many great things that happened yesterday. Yesterday had the highest voter turnout ever. Um, Biden brought out more of the youth vote than Obama did. Uh, there are yep. so many great things that happened. Joe Biden actually had more votes than any candidate in history. Ever. So obviously him winning the popular vote by so much and then possibly losing the White House would be devastating. But but those are real numbers and it is not a silent majority. They're, they're a silent minority and the majority of people get to determine um, what the agenda is. And, and I think we really can't lose 
um, sight of, of, of that, despite all of the things that are scary, and all the things that didn't go, you know, the Democrats way. There, there are a lot of things that 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 we should be celebrating today, nonetheless. Well, and, and so, Liz, something and I, I completely agree. Um, uh, you just touched something talking about anxiety, which I think is a really great segue. And I personally I feel like we would be negligent if we didn't talk about this really quickly. So social media uh, played you know, a significant role in terms of, um, you know, it, its impact, both positive and negative, obviously. And there's been a lot of conversation uh, of recent about some of the negative aspects. I did not watch The Social Dilemma because there's not enough Xanax in the CBS to get me to watch that. I can, t- I already know, I know I it's know. awesome. I know. I know it's incredible, and, but I just, I kind of figure I, I could get the Cliff's notes there. And, and you know, I, um, I tweeted out, um, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's speech last year uh, about social media role, social media's roles, and how it's engaged like the worst demagogues uh, uh, in terms of their influence on on things like our elections. Um, you yourself, you know, uh, I know the, the 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 word influencer was used. I I know that that can kind of be cringeworthy because I feel like now when people use the word influencer, they think of six year olds sharing a mansion, making millions, uh, promoting monster energy drinks. But you. I would say like you're a digital activist, um, you know, you inspire people to do uh, really good things, whether it's turnout to vote, whether it's advocacy leading up to the election, um, you're promoting an app uh, that helped folks with disabilities vote, which is incredible. Um, so, you know, looking back at this cycle, I'm just kind of curious, you know, in terms of uh, how the campaigns leveraged social media. I know we talked about TikTok, uh, which Andrew recently joined, um, and we're already seeing kind of the benefits in terms of of amplification there. But uh, what did you perceive and whether this is from a content standpoint, whether it's from a strategy standpoint, did you feel like both camps did particularly well or not so well? And, you know, what is your hope uh, and or fear for the future of, you know, emerging media and these social platforms? Yeah, I, I think that we saw a shift in terms of how you know disinformation is being regulated on these platforms, and and I think that shift happened literally six months ago. I think it was a long time coming, and people, I mean, just twenty sixteen in itself was such a colossal failure um, in terms of Facebook's handling of uh, misinformation and, and 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 fake news, and again, Russian bots and Russian interference and all of that. Right. So, so we've been talking about this for four, four, four years. And I feel like in the last six months, as we uh, remember even this summer when Trump was basically calling on uh, 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 people to go out and shoot protesters and, and, and to you know, sort of call to arms when uh, peaceful protests were happening around Black Lives Matter this summer and, and Twitter you know, taking that step and, and, and making sure that that tweet is not um, allowed on that site that a, that a call to violence is wouldn't be allowed from a 14 year old teenager in his basement. So it shouldn't be allowed by someone followed by 80, by 80 million people um, and, and the most powerful, you know, arguably one of the most powerful people in the world. Uh, we saw it with um, even that New York Post uh, story about Bo Biden's laptop, uh, Hunter Biden's laptop, excuse me. And that again, disinformation being cut at its root. But we also saw even last night, right? Like Donald Trump uh, undemocratically uh, said that he won and he 
called for an end to counting votes that people uh, have casted. And uh, obviously that is, uh, that's really insane. And uh, Facebook said that, that they wouldn't remove it, even though they've said that they would remove that kind of content. They said that it only applied to state by state, not a national election, which, which is just this nitpicking kind of way for them to just, again, not uh, step up to the plate. And so, so, so it's a scary time. And again, I like to see things from a solution-based uh, journalism kind of approach. It's a great opportunity uh, for us to talk about this and for us to lay the groundwork for heavier uh, regulation when it comes to what um, what you know the what's on these platforms and and what how we regulate that speech. And um, even today, we're seeing. Again, I'm sure by the time this is this is this comes out, there'll be even more conspiracy theories. But we're seeing conspiracy conspiracy theories about uh, votes being hidden under a rock in Arizona, I believe, um, coming from uh, Maria. Pizzagate. Uh, Bring back Pizzagate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. There's going to be yeah, 10 million other forms of that, and so yeah, it's and and it's real. So so we again, th th this is an opportunity to 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 really. Ask, ask ourselves how we're going to regulate that in the future. And 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 it's I, I feel like it's like that for every issue, right? Like every issue from racism to sexism to voter suppression has just been so in our face and the threat to our democracy is so in, in, in our face that, um, yeah, it, it it becomes like the obvious uh, you know choice to, to, to really deal with yeah. it. There's usually like this, um... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I can't. I never say I'm one that like loves regulation, but there's usually a tipping point where, and you go back in U.S. history where you had, you know, we ended up putting antitrust laws in because we had massive monopolies. To, you know, we didn't like when the TV came out. We didn't want kids watching violent shows on Sunday mornings or Saturday mornings or cartoons that sort of like that. Like mm -hmm. they're like those are very good regulations, right? And so social media yeah. companies like you had your fun. Uh, it's time to. Time to make things happen. Um, and I think, you know, it, in the social dilemma talks about this, where we, the problem, the real problem with this is actually, it's really dark. We were just losing our source of truth. Um, we're losing yeah. what the facts are. And then people are left to their own devices where it's on the left, you're like, it's all because of racism or sexism or something of that, where that's partially true, but probably not the whole picture. And on the right, it's all because of, I don't know, crazy woke left or whatever, radical left or whatever they do. And the, the truth's in the middle, right? Um, in uh, like most things. So, um, look, I, I want to, um, I'll be mindful of time. I'm sure you got a lot of demand on us and, um, and you know, you're doing amazing things as usual is, but like, I think a good way to leave you with on, on a question is, you know, uh, from here, what are you watching for? And you kind of alluded to it, but what are you watching for as we wrap this and, and head towards the finish line of this election? Um, I see a clear path uh, to the White House for uh, Joe Biden. I think it's going to be really tough, though, right? In the next few weeks, uh, potentially months, um, maybe until next year, <laughs> we're going God, to see months. Trump yeah, uh, really contest this uh, election. And, I, and I, I am looking to the media. I really am. I, I, you know, it's th this conversation about, uh, you know, sort of so social media companies stepping up to the plate. I am looking to the media to step up to the plate, right? Last night, CNN had a, uh, you know, one one of their carons um, read, you know, the, the Democrats are stealing the election. Trump 
you know, says that with, without saying falsely, without saying, you know, baselessly. So we, th this is the test, right? How is the media going to handle um, a, that the, the, the fact that Donald Trump is not a democratic leader and that the U.S. is, is might be led by an undemocratic leader? And will the media call it what it is? Um, I, I think that that is going to, that, that's what I'm looking out for. And I have hope and I'm optimistic, but I think that it's incredibly, incredibly important. And, and yeah, I'll, I'll be looking to see if those exit polls in terms of um, the increase, it, like who showed up, you know, in, 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 in a stronger way for Donald right. Trump in 2020 than they did in 2016. And how can we reach those voters? How can we, you know, understand why that shift happened? Um, I, I think is going to be really crucial. And, and again, how does the Democrat, where does the Democratic go? Where does the Democratic Party go from here? I think, I honestly think there's going to, there's gonna, obviously going to be truth tellers on both sides. And I'm just damn glad that you're on ours. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's I'm a plain and simple truth. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, um, I'm, I, I'm excited, uh, yeah, to have you guys in, in the mix and, and I'm, uh, yeah, it feels like 20 years ago that we were in Iowa, were we in Iowa? Yeah, that's where we hung out, um, in, <laughs> in February and, um, yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. I think everything's an opportunity. Just breathe, take it in strides, stay hydrated, eat some snacks. We're all going to get yes. through this. We're Absolutely. all going to get through this. Well, Liz, I can't thank you enough. And I, I, I look, I, I appreciate you, um, your willingness to talk to people all over the political map and um, your work uh, has opened my eyes to issues I didn't fully understand. And so I'm a, I'm a fan and um, just fascinating talking to you always. So thank you. Thank you, thank Liz. You. Uh, good luck in yeah. Canada. Um, I think some of us are jealous and some of us are saying, come back and help us save this place. But, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> we'll get over it. Um What's that? Plus, I've, I'll never uh, leave you. Okay. I've also okay. been to Toronto in January, so you'll be back. I will. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the Canadian winter is enough uh, to, yeah. to to keep me here um, helping out, and I will work Same. on 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 getting that travel ban, uh, you know, eradicated, um, so you guys can come. And I'm please ask Justin on our behalf. We'd it's lovely. It. All right, Liz, you're awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. All right. Um, so our next guest to get some political insight, we have a, a Yang Gang treat. If anyone followed this campaign closely, the wonderfully talented and brilliant uh, youngest finance director in presidential campaign history, I believe, Eric, am I getting that right? That is correct. I don't know if that's verified. A, a Bloomberg expose. It's, it's verified by us. Uh, the one and only Carly Riley. Thank you for joining us. Welcome Yang Speaks, Carly. Thanks for having me, y'all. This is a this is a wonderful reunion to get to to be a part Absolutely. of here. Absolutely, unfortunately of, remote. 
the unfortunately remote it's true unfortunately remote, but we um and one of the things i want to do is get you know we've got some outsiders some insiders and people from the yang world and, and outside the yang world and this is one from the yang world um but was also new to politics so i think you know a, a lot of our team especially the early team has a very um unique perspective on what the hell is happening in politics what's happening in our country what and frankly what just happened in the election so carl let's start with an easy one just uh, you know i think it's interesting to get as many perspectives as we can on this thoughts on the election last night how are you feeling what are you looking at uh yeah <laughs> it happened are, are you liking what you're seeing or you're not that's what <laughs> yeah. i want to know <laughs> uh, I think we did this, yeah look i mean I'm glad Biden's gonna win, it appears. It's not all the ways I wish it had happened, right? I wish it was more of a landslide. I wish the polls were were more correct. If only somebody coming from Yang World who appreciates data, the sense that I have that we can't really trust our data anymore is, uh, is a disheartening one. Um, mm -hmm. But there were a couple of moments early on last night when I was worried Biden wasn't gonna pull it through at all. Uh, so I'm certainly relieved certainly relief from that standpoint. Um, are you, how late did you stay up to watch this thing? Like, did you wake up with anxiety or go to sleep with anxiety and wake up with hope or what? No. I'm trying to get a sense of if human beings react yeah. to this election. <laughs> I went to bed so much earlier than I would have expected. I mean, I was up really late in the, the 2016 cycle, just like churning about it. And this time, once it became clear to me that Arizona looked like it was gonna flip, Michigan and Wisconsin were probably going to do what the poll said they were going to do, even if not to the extent that they were supposed to, but and, and go for Biden. But we weren't going to know that like last night, once I realized like, hey, we're not going to know tonight, but I know that this direction we're trending. I was like, my day is not going to be better tomorrow if I'm exhausted and ragged. Mm. I got a job. So uh, I went to bed and woke up with things basically in the same place as they had been the previous night. So I, I stand by that decision to, to get some sleep. <laughs> yeah. Nothing changed Smart. between midnight and 5 a.m., except that Donald Trump did what Donald Trump we knew was going to do, which is pretend he won the election before we knew anything. So uh, yeah. Of all the predictions, I think that was the most predictic yeah. predictable thing. <laughs> that <laughs> Everybody got that one right, both sides of the aisle, every pollster, we all nailed that one particular prediction. Wow. <laughs> Absolutely. That uh, the other one for me was uh, the fact that he was able to get white men to love the village people. That was my other prediction, and he did that really well. <laughs> that video, the video of Donald Trump dancing the YMCA is, is gold, man. I'm sorry. Say what you want about Donald Trump, and there's a lot of things to say about him. He's freaking funny. He really is funny. Um, so I mean, it's not funny because he's like the leader of the free world, and, and that sort of thing. If you really think about it, it's not that funny, but. And he's a, a performer. It's why he's Hilarious. succeeded because he's yeah. able to keep your attention and perform, and people are one of the best. That. Probably one of the best ever. Um, Eric, I, I'll, I'll let you. Let's dive in, Eric. Let's. Why don't you you uh, you lead our question? Oh, for sure, for Carl. Yeah. So you know, obviously, uh, I want to say it was me. It was in the spring. Uh, you had an op-ed published in the Washington Post that I thought was uh, both truth telling, but also brave in a lot of ways, because, you know, uh, you were telling, uh, basically speaking directly to Democrats in, in a subject that uh, is really hard for them to talk about. And I think, you know, cycles pass. Um, we've kind of inched closer towards it, but it's in some ways, ironically enough, it's the elephant in the room. Um, 
because, you know, we do in, in a lot of ways as Democrats have interesting purity tests and your op-ed uh, spoke through the lens, obviously, of, of donors. I remember uh, the example was Louis C.K. Uh, and, you know, the Biden campaign returned their money uh, that was donated from him. Um, but my question is, you know, the, in this purity test, do you feel like, you know, what you spoke to in that op-ed um, uh, kind of played its role when it comes to election night? There was a morning consult exit poll um, uh, two days ago that said among Trump supporters, 75% were voting for Trump and 25 were voting against Biden. And alternatively, among Biden supporters, 54% voted uh, for Biden and 44% voted against Trump, which I think is truly telling. So I was just kind of interested really in your perspective um, yeah. on the purity test and what that means. Yeah, um, well, and I guess maybe for a little bit of context, basically what I said in this op-ed is uh, the, the, the Biden campaign returned Louis C.K.'s $2,800 donation. Louis C.K. donated $2,800 to, to Biden's campaign. The campaign team returned that and like publicly announced they were returning this money, I guess, again, to say like, we don't support, you know, predatory masturbation and sexual uh, assault. Um, and my point was that this is like this ridiculous thing that Democrats feel they have to do because I think of the, the kind of outrage culture and, and the mob, um, which to me, like, Louis C.K. was buying absolutely no influence in the Biden campaign by donating $2,800. However, <laughs> he was giving Biden like a slightly better chance of winning something like they could have put that towards the campaign bus. Like elections need money. Campaigns need money to run elections. I would much rather have Biden win and take out Donald Trump, who, by the way, is by all accounts, probably a, a sexual, sexual like, abuser herself himself right. in the White House, than make some like minor moral point about how they feel about Louis CK. I, I just, and it's funny, you called it brave, Eric. And like, I've had other people tell me this is brave. And I'm like, this is part of the problem. Like, if this point is brave, like, we, we are in trouble, yes, because boy, Carly, do I have a bunch of opinions preach. that are like, way more taboo than this that I think are completely reasonable. So I, know. <laughs> I think and I think this, the fact that Biden won, um, and that we I, I don't think Bernie would have won. And, and the way that he won, I think, is a repudiation of some of this democratic purity test, moral, like morality test things. I think if, um, like, yes, the Biden campaign gave this money back, but in general, Biden himself was not a candidate that ran on purity tests and ran on sort of morality tests. And he was, a, he was obviously a much more moderate candidate. And I think had he, in his rhetoric, sort of taken that, that kind of purity test approach to things, I think we would have had we'd be in a much different place and a much worse place right now. I think most of the country thinks this stuff is BS. Like they think it, it, this, yeah, it's just ridiculous to suggest that now we know the Biden campaign doesn't approve of, you know, sexual assault because they didn't keep Louis CK's $2,800. And the last point is if we really don't like Louis CK that much, like why are we giving him $3,000 back? Like that's also just seems weird. Like the whole logic to it is bizarre. <laughs> like take the money from the sexual assault, like the sexual predators. Like I'll take that money all day long and do good things with it and let them go out there broke trying to sexual assault people. It just makes no sense on every level. So that's my wow. spiel. I, oh man, that's so fun <laughs> to me. I, I have so many thoughts, but the big one was, this was a fight within the Democratic Party during the primary, if you remember, Liz Warren uh, hammering Pete because he did yeah. a wine cave fundraiser. He says, I don't do fundraisers in wine caves. And then yeah. Pete said, like, stop administering purity tests that you yourself can't even pass because here you are 
saying I'm raising money, but you're taking now super PAC money and you're um, taking max donations and X, Y, Z. Like, it's just this, like, who's more good over and over and over. Do you, and I'm going to talk about this with Andrew a bit, but this, like, um, I'm curious your thoughts. Do you think, like, the Donald winning or let's call it outperforming because I don't know think he's gonna win but he did outperform a lot uh, last night and, and going forward do you think that is a reflection of Americans like Republican values like they're more in alignment with Donald's vision for the country or is it more of a reaction to frankly like anti-woke cancel culture a lot of the things the left has even though they don't fight about it all day long, it's kind of what Fox News highlights in their internal strife, right? Like it's a really powerful narrative on the right. Do you think, which one do you think, like how much does your purity test you talk about, like cater over to why Donald outperformed last yeah, night? Yeah, a, a lot. I definitely think it's the latter. So I think this was more a repudiation of the idea of cancel culture, which to your point, regardless of how much you think that is what the Democratic Party is, it's what Fox News highlights of the Democratic Party and what these media channels that Trump voters are watching and paying attention to highlight. Um, I think it's much more that than people fundamentally loving Trump's policies. Um, I think we saw this in the exit polls, right? Like most of the country agrees in having like a public option in healthcare or believes in, you know, background checks on guns. Like if you if you really dig into from a policy perspective, what most of most of the country believes, it's pretty liberal policies. But that gets lost amidst the rhetoric game. Um, and Democrats are just total losers when it comes to the rhetoric game, in my opinion. Um, and that's why Donald Trump was able to perform as well as he was able to perform, in my opinion. Mm, Dem sucking and messaging sucks. Uh, yeah, <laughs> sucks I don't think it, I don't, I don't say that we suck at messaging, but we do have this strange desire to win debates instead of elections. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and that part, that part is hard though. I mean, it, it really kind of speaks to, and we're, we, uh, we're talking to Eugene Daniels and who kind of spoke to the fact that, uh, Republicans really understand their lane, but you know, Democrats, um, they're trying to cater to so many different bases, and in that mm. in that vein, uh, fail to create you know um, uh, effective messaging machine that kind of cascades uh, from their leadership down to you know Joe the Ragman and Youngstown, Ohio. You know, so like mm. it's and, and that's an interesting thing uh, to bring up for sure. But no, I I I do, and it's something that I've worried about long before this cycle took in the whole um, you know cycles past is. Uh, seeing how uh, the Democratic Party within their divisions have kind of failed to unify around a message that uh, includes more people um, instead of like carves folks out. Uh, and it, in some ways, it seems like we didn't really learn a lesson from from 2016. Uh, and obviously, with the variables like COVID and other things, uh, it just seemed like there was still a baseline understanding that failed to be grasped uh, from a messaging standpoint, for sure. Though I think Biden did take that message, that lesson away a little bit, like something, and I'll, I'll say this, we can talk about yeah, Yang a little bit. Biden all, party. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, but just being all kind of Yang people here. One of the things that I loved so much about Andrew from day one, and I, you know, joined the team in mid 2018 when he was nobody, um, was the fact that he did have a message that anybody could see themselves as a part of, right? He wasn't scapegoating anybody. Like it wasn't this immigrant, like politics is so much scapegoating. It's immigrants are evil. It's billionaires are evil. And Andrew was being like, you know, 
robots are bad, <laughs> right? And so all of like humanity was sort of welcome and could see themselves in this vision. And I think that was one of the reasons for his success. But I have to say, I think Biden actually did that a little bit as well, right? Like Biden didn't have the scapegoating robots piece necessarily, but you know, nobody thinks Biden hates billionaires, which frankly is probably why some of the really progressive left doesn't like him as much. Like mm -hmm. nobody thinks Biden hates billionaires. Nobody thinks Biden hates immigrants. Like name a class of people that you think Biden doesn't like. I, I can't think of it. So he he was yeah. able, it was like this restoring the soul of the country. It was this inclusive sort of vision that said, hey, look, we're all Americans. Um, and I think that's part of the reason he succeeded in a way that I don't think, frankly, Bernie would have. Um, and it's why I think Andrew could have done well in a cycle like this, because again, he was making space for anyone to see them as as part of the democratic party in his democratic party that's the the question i probably you know an inch of time probably want to wrap with but I, I i think you you've always carly like straddled the understanding between the left and the right really well um like your background is you know went to tufts but um listen to a ton listen to ben shapiro and sam harris like the left and the right like you are always interested in in both sides of the aisle here you're do you, like in hindsight do you think how do you think yang would have done if he was on the democratic ticket given what you're looking like looking at all of these like looking frankly how strong the rural urban divide was like what what do you think yeah i mean I always felt like Andrew actually would play better in a general than in a primary, right? Because mm -hmm. yeah. he is, he does appeal to Republicans and that can kind of hurt somebody in a primary and is obviously great in a general. Um, I think to the extent that obviously the core of Andrew's message was frankly about the Rust Belt. And so when we look at this election at the end of the day, came down to the Rust Belt, I think it would have been really interesting to see how Andrew would have performed there. I'm such an Andrew loyalist. Obviously, I feel like he would have done quite well. I think there's a chance that the kind of right-wing media could have painted him as a socialist or painted him as things that he's very much not just because of the UBI piece. Um, but anybody who was listening to him, he was going to have the same kind of effect that Biden's going to have, which is like, he's not scapegoating anybody. He's not saying you're bad if you're rich. He's not saying you're bad if you're, you know, working class in Kentucky. Like he's, he's saying all of you are, are sort of welcome here. Um, and so you get a thousand dollars a month. All of you get a thousand dollars a month, baby. Uh, and also, well, yeah, I, I think uh, I think fundamentally that is why he probably would have would have done well. Well, it's like the lot the knocks on him, um, you know, would be like lack of experience or elected official or like anti-establishment. Yeah. But on the right, those are not not. I mean, no one's voting for Donald because of his experience, of course. frankly, handling COVID. Um, so anyway, well, that, and that speaks again to why I think he struggled in the primary because I think that was a knock that Democrats love. Dems love experience. We love government experience. We think right. we hate that the way the government's run, but we love the people who run it um, and think they should still be in charge. It's a ridiculous. Oh, gosh, I don't. I don't. It's really hard for me because I am a Democrat and like a you know, run a Democrat presidential campaign, but I don't understand like the ethos of so many democratic voters on it's almost like the it's the logic or hypocrisy in some way um where we want to change the system but we only like people in the system like it's very i don't get it um i love them but you know it's hard um commentating as a democrat is really like playing a game of minesweeper you have to be really careful or either you're going to be yeah. an ageist a sexist this that yeah. or the other you know, like, it's, it's really tough. There's a lot of pitfalls really that you could fall into. I will say, though, speaking of, like, commentators and, and speaking to the fact that I, uh, I I do kind of follow media from both sides of the aisle, I have a problem where I can't stop trolling 
Charlie Kirk on Twitter. Not that he knows this or cares about this, but if y'all don't know, Charlie Kirk is this millennial Republican. This dude has the worst takes of all time. Ever. And somehow, like, I follow Tommy Laren, to your point, Ben Shapiro. Like, none of their tweets, like, even if I disagree with them, like, I'm not inspired to just be like, this is moronic. Charlie Kirk is moronic. I really, I just... Continuously poor. <laughs> go onto his Twitter. Oh, this will be a this will be a perfect way to shamelessly plug myself. Follow me on Twitter at, at Carly P. Riley. That's R-E-I-L-L-Y. No, uh, follow me on Twitter and DM me if you can find like a reasonable Charlie Kirk tweet that like holds water in any way. It's I like I'm like afflicted by this. I've like tweeted about him like six times. <laughs> this makes no sense. So, I, you know, I, look, like, like, as much as I hate on the Democrats, the Republicans have their fair share of oh, assholes and idiots. Bad. Um like Laura Ingram is is and Sean Hannity collectively like really brutal. Um so just really listen, I mean, look, I follow Marco Rubio. I mean, he's the, one of the easiest people to troll out there. Um, he's like, what? What is this guy talking about? Pretty consistently. So, um, oh my goodness. Um, so, Carly, what are you? Um, what are you watching for as we head down the stretch? As we have this conversation, Wisconsin looks to be falling for Biden. AP just called yeah. it. Very exciting stuff. Um, so Biden needs Michigan or Pennsylvania or Georgia, and this should be wrapped. Um, yeah assuming the Republicans don't necessarily fight it. Um, and they probably will. So uh, wrapped is the wrong word, but you know, at least close to quote decided, uh, Carly, what are you watching? Uh, I'm going to be curious, honestly, uh, as this sort of sh- shapes up and shakes out, I guess I'm, I'm going to be curious to see sort of the demographic data. You know, I'm not that I like to play those games, but I think it, I think it, Trump actually had a surge with minority voters, um, across the board. Now that depends like, you know, Arizona, not so much as Florida, but I think that's going to be really interesting, uh, frankly, to take a look at and just see like, you know, was his message actually really resonating with minorities, just because I think that's something Democrats would never expect. And I think if that's true, it's something we need to kind of understand that a lot of voters and a lot of minority voters are, are kind of sick of the Democratic Party acting like they sort of have their vote on lock. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's something we're just gonna have to think about uh sort of as a party is moving forward. And so I'll, I'll be curious to see how some of that shakes out, honestly, in terms of who voted uh, for who. Um, and yeah, otherwise, let's just fingers crossed, make this thing happen. Please concede power peacefully. And we don't just, I think, blow our country up in some horrible way over the next week. Oh, boy. Um, well, Carl, thank you for joining. We know you're busy. and Absolutely. Guys, thanks for having me. This was so fun. Again, if if on this day, I would love to be hanging out with the two of you. So glad, <laughs> glad I was able to do it, if only virtually. There it is. Thank you, Carly. That's Carly P. Riley on Twitter. Give her a follow <laughs> and troll Charlie Kirk or whatever. Uh, yeah. Thanks, Carl. Have a good Thank one. Thank you, Carly. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, guys, I am so, I'm thrilled right now because I know Eric is too, but you've known her longer than For me. Sure. Like I'm still kind of fanboying um, because <laughs> if there's if there's one person that I 
just like watched with admiration the entire election cycle, it is Liz Smith. And Liz Smith was Pete Buttigieg's communications director and senior advisor, but also has been a Democratic consultant operative for a while. And I just, to me, I watched the Buttigieg campaign and particularly moves that their comms team and Liz was making. I just remember thinking the whole time, these guys freaking get it. Like I, I like I just um, they understood the podcast game. They understood the meme game. They understood viral videos. They understood all this like the the uh, frankly the attention economy um, better than anybody. And so uh, on a selfish note, I want to like bring Liz back on at some point and like dive into all of everything I just said. But it is election week, so we're here to get the the wizard, the brilliant, the talented, amazing Liz Smith herself. Liz Smith, welcome to Yank Speaks. Wow, thank glad you. That was, I think, the best introduction I've ever gotten from anyone. <laughs> well, it was genuine, so I'm glad that makes me happy. Um, and and, and I hope you guys know the, the feeling is mutual that I, you know, had, and we can get into this, but I have immense respect for what you guys were able to do on the um, Yank campaign. And I think that you guys got it in a way that other campaigns did it. Well, thank you. Um, that warmed my, oh my God, that feels so awesome. But also <laughs> like the proof's in the pudding too. Like it was, it, there were a lot of campaigns um, that frankly didn't get it. And we, like, yeah, I always thought Yang was like the Grim Reaper. Like once Yang beat you in the polls, you're pretty much dead. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was you guys at first, but then you guys hit the, like this top tier and then we became the Grim Reaper. Um, but anyway, um, not really what we want to discuss. I'm going to whet everybody's appetite, but Liz, thank you for joining. We're excited to have you. I, I think the first question I've been asking everybody who's joined our our podcast today is just, you know, what do you, gut reaction to what you what we've just witnessed over the past call it fifteen eighteen hours, whatever it is. Um, uh, what do you, what are your thoughts on the election so far? Yeah, i look. I think overall it's a good thing. It's a good night for Democrats. Um, you know, Joe Biden is going to win the White House and he will have, you know, expanded the map a little bit with, you know, picking up Arizona and, you know, Georgia. I'm still seeing some weird stuff out of Georgia and I think we still have a shot at Georgia. Um, yeah. But the one thing that drives me nuts is seeing still Democrats acting like we've lost this election, even though we're going to take <laughs> back the White House. And you know that if that if Donald Trump we're in the same position that Joe Biden were, you know, right now, um, you know, in Wisconsin, in Michigan, in Pennsylvania, you know, Arizona, that he would be claiming some massive mandate, right? Um, and instead, Dems are still, you know, wetting the bed and 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 pointing fingers when I think that we should take some pride in the fact that we do, won this election. Do you think some of that, though, is like an emotional <laughs> mitigation to, to evade like a, a, a 2016 heartbreak and be able to rejoice uh, when we actually get a positive result? I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe. Um, I, I also just, I also think that there was such a misfire in terms of the polling, um, in terms of Democrats' confidence, in terms of like the, if you watch the cable news coverage, right? If you watched MSNBC, CNN, you know, you're obviously going to be a little bit let down from by these results. But, um, you know, a lot of people got got some things very wrong in this race, and I think that's going to be something that we're going to have to examine afterwards. The, For sure. As we're talking about this, it, this just happened where we, uh, Wisconsin had def, uh, officially fell for Joe Biden. However, yeah. that poll was somewhere between nine points to 17 points 17. for Joe Biden. Yeah. Um, and like good, quote unquote, good pollsters. Um, they're obviously not good. They're terrible. And this poll, this 
state, like Biden clearly won it, but by 21,000 votes, like that's a central tie. Um, so what I'm like, my mind's blown. I'm like, oh, and like, you know, this from working in communication in general, like being on the campaign where how much I think the media misses things or like the people are on one side and like the narratives are on this other side. Um, so uh, like if you had to guess like what, why are the polls so off? Like, why is the narrative so wrong? Is it because they're bad pollsters? Maybe that's it. Or is this like, is there this media fire that's fueling it? Where, where do you land on that? Yeah, I, I think it's a combination of those two. Um, and look, a win is a win. I, I don't care w. If, yes. if, Classic if, if Biden wins, by like, right? Like, I, as I, my view here always was Joe Biden just needs to win by one vote in Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. I don't give a shit about a fucking mandate. Okay. I just want to win here. Um, and sorry, you know, sorry, yes. so sorry for my language. Um, no, but I do think that sometimes I think that the political class and the, the political professional class does sometimes just miss the mark on Donald Trump and does not understand his appeal and and um, always how to how to reach his supporters. And I, I think that that's going to be a story um, of this campaign, too, is that once again, like in 2016, the pollsters um, didn't quite capture, uh, you know, Donald Trump's enduring strength. And that's one of the things that we've seen down ballot, right, is a lot of the races um, that we lost, you know, Senate races, House races were in tough red districts and that, you know, Donald Trump performed really, really well. And and there's view that he's like this aberrant monster and that no one is going to support him just really doesn't comport with the facts. And I think that we've got to understand that, you know, he is a Republican and he is like a, a Republicans are going to back him and that he's not like just history's greatest monster and that people are going to you know, run away from him in droves. So, so true. Um, Eric, I saw your mouth move. You're going to say something. Sorry, bud. No, no, I was just uh, nodding my head along with, with everything that I was talking about. I do, um, I do want to talk about one of your superpowers. And obviously it's something that I've been wanting to chat with you a while about, um, you know, uh, obviously we both work for candidates um, that uh, ran in a very crowded primary. Um, and I lying if I said I didn't uh, work towards um, at least uh, your earned media capabilities and, and looking at different emerging media uh, like podcasts and other things. Um, I applied, you know, those lessons both to my time for Tim Ryan, uh, as well as with Andrew Yang um, uh, for two reasons. Number one, uh, it definitely seemed like it was working. And number two, um, just like Pete, you know, I got to work with two messengers that we're comfortable uh, yeah. being able to, to work in those environments. Uh, now, you know, obviously the general is different um, and uh, both candidates had collective name ID going into the general uh, and perhaps, you know, obviously being more comfortable in those controlled environments. But I think back uh, to your New York Times op-ed back in the spring uh, in mm -hmm. terms of guidance uh, for the Biden campaign. And do you feel like, um, you know, uh, embracing more of, of, of those strategies would have helped more uh, in helping shape uh, the outcome going into election night? Um, so I don't know. I, I, I don't know that I've seen enough where I can definitively say that. I do generally think that communicating more 
and being more transparent and available is a good thing. Um, and being out there more is a ge generally a good thing. And, you know, I think we can all admit that because of the constraints of the, um, of the coronavirus, of be, you know, of right. running in the middle of a global pandemic, that that did sort of um, uh, hold down, you know, Biden's ability to get out there a bit more. Um, and I think that they effectively use surrogates. I know Pete did over like 170 interviews on behalf of the Biden yeah. campaign, which is nuts. We just tallied that up. Um, but I always think, I, and, and I'm not gonna, I, I don't want a Monday morning quarterback. I don't want to do anything because everyone's got to run their race. But sure. my general advice to anyone running for president, anyone running for any office is to get out there more and to, to be a little bit more, you know, to always try to be aggressive and visible with the media and especially with, um, you know, outside of the political bubble. Right. And that's a good thing. That's something that you guys did on the Yang campaign. You know, I know a lot of Democrats were critical that he went on like Joe Rogan, but give me a break. How are you going to turn down that audience? It is massive. Yeah, and that's part of the reason. Game of Thrones Sunday night primetime. Right. In terms of numbers. That's exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and it's like, that's, I think that was sort of like one of your first big moments, right? Is when you did that. Um, and I think that's, you know, sometimes Democrats can be a little bit precious about um, how we communicate, how much we communicate, um, when really what we just need to do is just go out there and get our message out there. Yep. No, I agree. And, and piggybacking off of that, though, um, you know, you were just on uh, Bill Maher's show, which has a marginally better reach than Yang speaks here, but it's fantastic. Uh, <laughs> marginally, Eric. <laughs> marginally, uh, but um, you know, uh, Bill asked you uh, about on the on the you know these Trump car caravans. I saw one; it was scary as shit. Um, but uh, you know, he mentioned why you, we didn't see these things on the Democratic side, and you uh, said so eloquently because we're not a fucking cult, which right. I thought was hysterical, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. um, but like, do you feel like we need to be? Is that um, something that's missing? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> so I've, you know, this is something I think about from time to time. I've thought about, um, and no, I, I, I just don't, I don't think we need to be. Um, and there are real life consequences to, you know, the behaviors of, um, you know, the of the MAGA people, right? You know, you see that that study that showed that, you know, 700 people who had attended Trump rallies, um, got, you know, passed away from the COVID, from COVID, and, you know, that there were thousands and thousands of, of COVID infections that they could tie, COVID-19 infections that they could tie back to those rallies. Um, but no, I do think that passion is a good thing, though, and that that is something that we could probably, that we should always work toward and in, in, um, in our politics, but I don't think that we need to become like a cult. There's probably some good middle ground. Um, I also just don't know that this was the election cycle for that sort of attitude among, you know, among Democrats, right? I just think a lot of this ended up coming down to um, Joe Biden being someone that people were comfortable with. He's a, uh, and someone that they trusted enough to sort of lead us through the fallout of the Trump presidency. Um, I don't think that someone like a Bernie Sanders who definitely does have a lot more of that cult of personality. Um, I don't think we would be sitting here talking about a win if he had been the nominee, even though he's, he inspires a lot stronger feelings. Yeah, right. we've talked about that a few times today. I, so I'm, I think this is fun. I have an interesting thought exercise for you. Um, so I was talking about Eric in the beginning of this. I said 
two things and I, I want your thoughts and then I want I want to play a thought game with you and what you would do so a little Monday morning quarterbacking because it's fun um so I said this the argument the the Democratic message that Donald Trump is a racist I think <laughs> is dead and failed and I think the attack line on Joe Biden that Joe Biden is a socialist was way more successful than I thought. Um, agree, disagree on both of those. Yeah, well, I, I think that the socialist argument did hurt us. I, I don't think I'm saying anything. Yeah. Or radical left, ra whatever you want to call ra it. Ra yeah. Right, I do think it hurt us certainly um, with more culturally conservative voters. And especially in, in places like, you know, Miami, Dade, where you do have more culturally conservative, um, you know, Cuban, Venezuelan, Americans. Um, uh, I, and I think that the Trump racist argument, like, look, I think that Trump is a racist and I think that he espouses racist policies, but, you know, I don't think it's enough to, to think that just running around, you know, yelling at the highest possible decibel that he's a racist is how we're going to win over um, Latino voters or how we're going to win over black voters. Because it, one of the weird stories of this election cycle is that, you know, Trump was able to cut into our numbers with you know, um, younger Latino males, yeah. um, younger black males. P part of it was was yes, going at Joe Biden and, and Kamala's record on, um, you know, Kamala's record as DA, Joe Biden's record supporting the crime bill. And, and also, yeah, but um, part of it was understanding that if you want to reach out to Latino voters, you got to talk about things other than just like immigration. You know, there is a strong you know, economic argument that I think that um, Trump was putting out there more um, in, in appealing to Latino voters um, in some ways than the Biden campaign was. And this is not unique to the Biden campaign. I, I, I think the Democratic Party as a whole needs to figure out, figure, you know, figure that whole thing out. Right. Because um, Latino and black voters are not um, are not as liberal in, in some ways as, you know, the as the progressive as progressive white voters so um we've got to understand that we, we need to be able to appeal to culturally economically more conservative um communities and figure out you know how to do that um i always thought it was yeah. really sexist to assume that like in the women's vote was a great example of the democratic party i always thought that it was sexist to assume that women only cared about women's issues like right tell me that smart women right. don't care about the economy or family or economic security or immigration or like yeah of course they do um so uh, not to cut, I didn't mean to cut you off, but that was oh, no, 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 but, but it's just the, the, the singular focus on immigration drives me nuts, right? It just mm -hmm. drives me nuts. Yeah. So here's the other piece of this I'm curious about. It was like this theory I had um, and where, where, I, where I get to Monday morning quarterbacking. So I was on the impression, like if Donald Trump and the Republicans, when coronavirus hit, said, hey, like he cut the divisiveness and said, hey, this is going to suck. We need to come together. We're going to come with a, we got to find a vaccine and we got to hunker down. We got to quarantine and like, let's put together a national plan. And we are the greatest country in the world. We're going to make, we literally could have said MAGA, like make America great again. Like could have actually worked. If he had done that, I think he wins in a landslide. I think it's ridiculous how well he would win. Um, but he did not. I'm a, so my question for you is, um, you know, if you were, both on the Dem side and the Republican side, but maybe start on the Trump side. Like, if you were them, like, what what would your 
core message be in calm strategy going in? I'm just fascinated how your brain works and thinking like that. If I were advising the Trump yeah. folks um, at the beginning of, of the global pandemic. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think your approach is right. Is to, I would have said, just try to be presidential, right? Presidential. I know I hate when people use that term, but yes, just to be, to be sober, to be serious um, and to rise to the occasion, right? Crises uh, present opportunities for, for great leadership. And I think, you know, we saw that in New York, right? Um, and we've seen that with a lot of governors across the country. Uh, Andrew Cuomo's numbers are just stratospheric, not because he got everything completely. He got a lot of things wrong. R right. Frankly, you know? A lot of people, but a lot of people are going to get something wrong with a global pandemic right. there. This is uncharted territory. <laughs> and, and I, I don't think that, I think that the American people generally understand that you're not going to get everything exactly right. Some things are yeah. going to go wrong, but if you, if you show leadership, if you, um, you know, are calm, if you do sort of appeal to, to, you know, Americans unity and, and sense of community, all those different things that you can, um, that, that that's enough, that that's great. And, but Donald Trump never did that. And I think that if Donald Trump had shown sort of more of the leadership instincts of an Andrew Cuomo, or, you know, even like a Larry Hogan in Maryland, that he would be in, in an, a, a lot different place. Yeah. Um, but would it be enough for him to win? Maybe. I, I, TBD, I just, yeah. it's oh, yeah. TBD. Yeah. 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 I, um, go, um, I'll change transition to you, Eric, but yeah, I, I agree. I don't, you don't actually know, but I, it, like, yeah. it's one of those things when they, when they, when you have that steady hand of like unity, um, like Bush via nine 11, um, kind of He's... energy where it's, you, you also, you open up new comm strategies for the team, which is we're not changing leadership midstream. Like this is a time for unity and community, right? You end up getting to play this whole new lane plus the one you already had, which was like trolling the libs and make Eric great again and build the wall, all that stuff. So um, I thought he yeah. just kind of handcuffed himself. Yeah, and because I think of I think of nine eleven a lot. That that was what I was thinking about at the beginning, like back in March, back in April, that he did sort of have this opportunity. You know, Bush was really flailing in that first year of his presidency, um, and I don't think people really thought of him as someone who had the sort of uh, leadership qualities to really thrive in a moment like that. And they were largely superficial, but you remember him, you know, with the bullhorn at Ground Zero. You remember him going to a mosque and and saying, you know, we need to stand with our Muslim brothers and sisters and not, you know, engage in hate against them. Um, and the, that, you know, Donald Trump never ever had moments like that. Yeah, in fact, he did the opposite in many ways. Um, mm -hmm. or yeah, actually, I, I think that's it's probably clear that Americans are smart enough based on the Senate data and House data we're getting back, what they were literally voting for Biden on the top of the ticket and sticking with their Republicans down the rest. And that is to me, that is to me just a coronavirus response where yeah. like you're doing your rallies are super better events, man. Like uh, not wearing a mask is like, come on, man. Come on. Right. 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 Well, you know, I, I will say, you know, we had excellent guidance um, as we transitioned over to the general. Uh, we're still waiting results. Um, you know, fingers crossed, everything will turn up in our favor. Uh, we'll see a Biden victory. What would you, what would you say? And looking at the map, obviously, and how, how seemingly divided things look, what would be 
you know, an early great public facing opportunity uh, for the Biden transition to look at as they're trying to, you know, bridge the divide and bring the country back together after what will seemingly be not a very easy transition <laughs> to say the right. least. I think he's, I think it's an opportunity to go big. Um, and this is really an opportunity to show, to be the opposite of, of Donald Trump, to be the opposite sort of of the GOP generally, right? Um, Donald Trump has been very divisive. The Republicans in the Senate who are you know likely gonna just continue to do what they've been doing for the last bunch of the years are going to be very div divisive and partisan. And so I think um, it's incumbent upon Biden to sort of set the stage that, um, uh, that he's gonna try to work in good faith, try to bridge the divide. And I think he's gotta just try to do that sort of, you know, palette, have that sort of palette changer of a moment. Um, I don't think it makes sense to come out guns a blazing, being super partisan, like we're going to, you know, ram all this stuff down your throat. I think he's got to try to strike um, uh, a more, you know, a more positive unifying message at the beginning and find a, a, a powerful symbolic way to do that. Yeah. What do you yeah. guys think? I'm with I agree. You. Andrew said something really interesting a while back, um, and he said Joe Biden becomes a really interesting figure because of the lane he's in. No matter what he says, it becomes a new normal, or at least normal for the right. Democrats. And so, if Biden and we joke, like if Biden came out for cash relief or universal-based income, if he comes out for a version of Medicare for all, or at least a better government healthcare option. Um, or anything climate like his like climate change plan is pretty aggressive um like so like if he does that that becomes way more normalized you know than if bernie ever did it you for know? sure yeah and, I also and, think and i think he's got to go on the economy like I, I just think right now is i climate change is so important but he's got to really i think this is the time to really push through sort of more of an economic message agreed i agree way of employing empathy will be uh, greeted positively overall. Um, right. And I think the things that he was so famously remembered for during his Obama years will have a greater display once he gets to move out of this campaign mode. And I think right. that's what people forget. And I think that's what his bread and butter truly is. So um, I think some of his natural capabilities will help play a role in, in how he helps you know, bring the country together in some respects. Yeah, no, I agree with that. There was a um, video I watched. I think it was it was right after o the financial crisis. So Obama just been elected president, and um, I think it was uh, let's call it 2010. But it was Bill Clinton in an interview, um, and they said, "What would you have done if you were president?" And he said something really interesting. He said, "I would have gone bigger instead. We're gonna have." He was like, "I'm gonna call it America's comeback plan, where you put all of it into one, um, whether it's climate change and healthcare and this whole massive, um, basically right the ship bill." Um, with earmarks and the crap to get it across the, you know, the freaking finish line. And it's funny, like in hindsight, here we are probably a decade plus later and America's comeback plan would still be a good idea. Right. Um, theoretically, mm -hmm. that's how bad it's frankly gotten. So um, Liz, to wrap, because I, I know um, you are a, a busy, <laughs> amazing innovator, entrepreneur, but, um, but um, and we do too, but uh, what do you... Um, Anything you got your eye on as we um, head down the final stretch of the election here? 
<laughs> I mean, what don't I have my eye on? But um, <laughs> it's a hard question. No, no, I, 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 I'm, I am curious to see, like, I, I am curious to see how Georgia turns out. Um, and I do want to, I, I, I do want to look in, more into the numbers to see what the turnout was with, especially I'm interested to see what the turnout was with young voters and really how much Donald Trump was able to sort of um, peel off from, from Biden and Democrats in terms of, you know, uh, voters of color, whether they're, you know, maybe black Americans, Latinos, or um, uh, even Asian Americans, you know, Muslim Americans. I'm sort of curious to dive into those numbers and see that because I agree with you that I think we need to sort of tinker the way that we generally, um, you know, talk about some of these issues and the way that we categorize the Republican Party. Uh, I think we are going to look, I think the pro-democracy hope is that Arizona and Georgia fall for Biden in the sense that I just for some reason, I think the narrative of like the Midwest counting ballot ineffectively or illegally, wherever you want to go there starts to lose legs if Arizona and Georgia fall. Yeah. Um, So that's what I got my eye on. I think everybody probably does in its own way. Um, But Liz like thank you yes. by my heart I love thank you back. so much um, yeah we i would love to talk i'd love to pick your brain like just um on your just the way you approach um comms you approach it like a i mean it's with love like like a republican if you will in terms of like, <laughs> like they're experts in messaging um and you cut through the noise um so you're a you're that that makes you a treasure for the Democrat party in my opinion so absolutely um, and and for the country so thank you thank you yes um thanks guys it's uh keep yeah. being awesome and thank you for joining yang speaks uh adios amigas see you guys <laughs> <laughs>